Steel Toes and Scoreboards Podcast. Word association, Dirty Curdy, first thing that comes to mind. He changed the league, am I wrong? God, I hate Tom Brady. He's talented, but yeah. You just won't call him the goat, will you? We should have called ourselves the Hashtag Tits Podcast. A thousand downloads a day, guaranteed. Dude, it is talking sports. I love it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> is he the best running back you've ever seen? If he's not, then who is? Who do you put at number one, bro? There will be a Detroit Pistons Bad Boys episode one day. And you love that two-year run, don't you? No, I do. You can get a hot bat anywhere. You build around your pitching, or at least I do if I'm in charge. Pitching and defense wins your World Series, hands down. I came out of the closet <laughs> as a Lakers fan. Whoa, bro, scare me there for a second. Ah, uh, sure bet, sure bet. <laughs> there will be an increase of boxing talk on this show. I love boxing. I'm down for that anytime. Our few non-sports episodes have been pretty well received. We do a good thing by running a two-fold podcast. Please put Pete Rose in the damn Hall of Fame. Charlie Hustle, the all-time hits leader. It's political bullshit. And if he ever sees the Hall of Fame, he'll be after he's no longer with us. I miss the NBA I grew up on in the 90s and the early 2000s. The game isn't the same, but these kids can play. We're starting to talk more hockey, and that's, you know, that's that's never a bad thing. Puck the world, puck it all. Puck the world, Kurt (laughs) says. I promise you, I can work a pro wrestling reference into every episode. Want to see me do it? Weird flex, but okay. I can't believe, uh, seriously, in all seriousness, I can't believe we've been doing this show a year now. I can't believe people still listen after a year, you know. You have the perfect face for radio. Oh, cut me deep, son. Cut me deep. He exploded a bird with a fastball. I seen it happen. Randy Johnson, the big unit. The, the big unit. So, uh, you know, I, I got a little soccer news no, for you. No, let me stop you right there. That's a no for me. We don't talk soccer on this show. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Let me ask you, though. Does Kobe win three in a row without Shaq on the Lakers? What do you think? Boy, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty tough. All right, well, look at it this way. He's a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Without question. And he's still so young. Lots of knowledge left in that kid. All right, guys. Enjoy the next episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards coming to you now. Steel Toes and Scoreboards. Jared Atkins with the homie Kurt Kelly. What's up, everybody? Oh, man. It's hot. Yeah, it's very hot. It's hot. It's getting late in the summer, too. We had a nice week or two of weather. So, you know, last week I was on that work trip to Davenport, Iowa. Right. Ask me about the weather out there. Uh, How's the weather in Davenport, Iowa? So, the entire week I was there, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we left at 3, 4, 5 o'clock Friday evening to come home, got home about midnight. The weather that whole week out there didn't, barely broke 80 degrees. Wow. No humidity, sunshine. Really? Clear blue sky. Can't beat that. I looked at the weather here at home. Yeah. You guys were hot and humid. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to last for another 30 (laughs) days. 30 days at least. Probably. 
Yeah. That's some bullshit. It's some bullshit. Uh, uh, root season's right around the corner. Huh? Ginseng season's right around oh, the corner. That's, oh, yeah. That's, you know, where you burn all your PTO. Yeah, I ain't got any PTO to burn this year. Uh-oh. That's all right. I hunt in the evenings and I hunt on weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'll go out there at night if I have to. <laughs> Send it. Yep, be cooler. So, uh, Saturday night, August 27th. Right. As I said here, and we're both in basketball shorts. Right. You're in a Bird's Eye JC's four-on-four basketball tournament. <laughs> hey, the Bird's Eye Town Picnic yeah. was yeah. today. Yep, yeah. and the four-on-four tournament. Yeah, didn't go up there and shoot any hoops, huh? No, I retired. You retired? This is the last year I... Yeah. Yeah. I got this shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. I had to get winded too quick. You're fat. I am heavy. <laughs> I am too. I uh, I had I had khakis and a polo on when I got over here, and then I changed into basketball shorts in case we ever go outside and play. Well, by the way, everybody, and let me tell you before we get started tonight, if you ever want to go to a multi-sports complex in the country. <laughs> And you don't want to pay uh, right. membership fees. <laughs> Kirk Kelly is the only person I know in the world with a basketball court and a baseball diamond on wiffle, his property. Wiffle ball field. Oh, a wiffle ball a field. Wiffle ball field. It's yeah. like a. It's like a. A. I'm gonna call it a sixteenth. Right. The size of a baseball, baseball field. field. We, yeah, it's it's simulated, but it's fun. And you have to park a certain way in the driveway because your vehicle becomes center the center field fence. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah, <laughs> we got a pitcher's mound. We got so, so uh, all that to tell you that I'm heavy too. Because when I took my polo off and changed out of my khaki shorts and my basketball, my uh, wife beater tank top made it look like I had a brawl on. So, <laughs> as uh, me, as your son pointed uh, out, moobs. Moob. I am the king of moobs. Uh, that is a well defended title. I uh, am the king of moobs. There's. <laughs> No doubt about that whatsoever. Moob Talk Radio. Moob Talk Radio. Uh, so as you guys had to deal with with the uh, current events long form episode a couple weeks ago, um, it's hot and I'm fat and sweat and so does Kurt. So you're gonna hear the air conditioner yes. singing "Sweet Nothings" in your ear this exactly. whole episode. Yeah. But uh, Gotta whatever. We learned our lesson last summer. We were sweating to death when we record for two or three hours and the AC off. So. Yeah, two fat guys sweating. Yeah, and we're set within. Not a pretty you know, we're sight. Not, we're not six feet apart. COVID, you know. Not but a pretty sight. Not a pretty sight. So uh, we're just going to adjust the mics and scream into them and. Um, Bear with us. Yeah. Anyway. So we got a treat tonight. Yes. I think we so. are uh, going to do another World Series recap. Yes. So we're going to do what we should have done about a month ago. That would be the 1990 World Series we're between. Jump in our time machine to go we back. are we are hopping in the time machines. Cool. We are going back. We are going to 1990. The Cincinnati Reds and the Oakland Athletics. The Oakland Athletics. Sweet Lou Pinella and Barry Larkin and the boys. Barry Larkin and the boys against Tony Larusa yeah, and the Bash brothers. And the Bash brothers. Jose Canseco, a very young Mark, a very young Mark, Mark McGuire. So we were originally going to keep this in the in the cans for a backup episode, and then Kurt's like, "Let's just go ahead and do it." Uh, and all the notes I had for a month, uh, I went back today and I rewrote a bunch of them. Now Kurt's holding in his hand. I printed out the World Series statistics because I forgot to put them on I'm, the notes. I'm all about numbers and stuff. So. Folks. 
uh, I know some of you out there that remember are going to ask, why are we doing this World Series? It wasn't a good one. Right. Well, I call bullshit. I disagree. I call bullshit, too. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like 4-0 sweeps, but this World Series was a good World Series because it was a clean yeah. sweep. Yeah. It was. It was. Just for their other team. Yeah. This, yeah. So. They were definitely not picked to win it. The Reds was not. No, no. They uh, back backdoor Sam right up in there. I mean, you had, you look on the other team, you had Ricky Henderson, the likes of Mark McGuire. You know what Seiko. I put in the notes? Did you know this? I did not know this. I did not even, Willie you know, Randolph. I, was, I was two years old when this World Series right. happened. Right. Three years old. And I didn't know this. I didn't learn this till just today, even through all my years. You know when Ricky Henderson signed to play with Oakland in the offseason? November 1989. Right. So this was Henderson's first year. Right. right. As part of this. And it, we, he added to the team and they walked through the regular season, basically. Pretty much. So uh, I'm, I'm, pretty I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure I know where this year uh, World Series of won and lost, I think. We'll, well, I might say something here a little bit later when we get there. Before we get started, uh, one other thing. Um, right before the mics come on, before we, after we were done singing the stupid song, we were singing. Everybody was kung fu. Don't ask us why. <laughs> we were sitting here. I was getting the yeah. yeah I was getting the, uh, the equipment ready to go, and we both just started singing. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Uh, what was your take on the commentary? Go ahead. And, I told you to save it for the it was mics. Terrible. Terrible. Tim McCarver, I don't know. It was Joe Buck. Yeah. Tim McCarver and Jim Cott, I think were the three. And I. How many? How many? Uh. McCarver just. I don't know how I want to say it. How much homework did you do for this this week? I watched. I watched the first three games full all the way through. You you ready for this? Yeah. They got you well, excited. I, I, I remember it? watching it when uh, back in the day. I worked coal mines. I worked nights. I'd had taped the World Series so I could watch it when I get home after work, you know. Right. Uh, I wouldn't listen to the radio or anything, you know, so I didn't know the score. I'm not a really Reds fan, but I'll just tell you right now, I was rooting for the Reds. I was three years old. My first memory of the 1990 World Series, I was probably about 11, so you're looking at 1998 when I first remember hearing about this and reading about it. I mean, all, all you heard uh, about was the Oakland Athletics and the Bass Brothers, the steroid. And uh, I hate... Oh, ooh, ooh. What? Did I say steroid? Yeah, you said steroids. Oh, that's that's Yeah. I mean he's not wrong. No, I can just wrong. let this in the whole time. Hey, when we eventually do our steroid episode on baseball, I'm just gonna hold this this button in the whole episode. Yeah, there you go. Or this button. <laughs> or this button for the whole steroids episode. But no, I was uh nineteen ninety eight. I was 11 years old. Uh, that's one of my first real memory of this World Series, and I've never been in NL Central. Got well, it wasn't the NL Central here; it was still the old NL, NL West. West. Yes, because they didn't do the divisional realignment right, right. till 1995, right, 96. Right. So, uh, but I've never been a Reds guy. But I was pulling for the Reds in this oh, yeah. one. Thank I mean, you. after, of course, you know, years after it happened. But, right, uh, right. All right, Kurt. Uh, enough shooting the shit. Uh, at the end of this episode, man, that EQ's popping. Oh boy. Uh, anyways, at the end of this episode, we will. Um, can you hear it popping in your ears? Uh-uh. Let me move my mic a little bit. And let me move your mic a little bit. That way it's not so close to the recorder. 
Let's we'll right. see what difference Hello. this makes. Hello. 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 Yep. Hello. You got to use your big boy voice. You are. <clears throat> My voice is kind of hoarse. Use, use your uh, professional radio voice. Uh, yes. Uh, this is Kurt Kelly. Kelly. Stand by for <laughs> 10 o'clock news. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. But at the end of this episode, I will be given a full information. It is going down two weeks from tonight, September 10th. Kurt and I are on the road to Richmond, Indiana. Road trip! Yeah! Finally, we are recording with uh, Dutch and Gibbler. Uh, Chris and Kim, Dutch and Gibbler. And uh, we will be joining with the After Two Beers crew as they will uh, have us on their podcast. Unless something has changed, we are still going to be talking... I'm assuming about baseball and baseball cards and maybe whatever else. And then uh, I have not talked to them. I still have no idea what they're going to talk about when they talk to us. It could just be literally press record and roll tape. So, But all right, enough shooting the shit. Kurt, uh, Kurt, we ain't done this in a minute. Let's uh, let's pay a bill. Better. And then we'll get started. All right, guys, check out Glary Guitars on Facebook or check them out at glarymusic.com. Glary is spelled G-L-A-R-R-Y. Uh, very, very reasonable and affordable instruments. I will not say cheap. I bought a GT501 and a GT502 in January last year, one for me, one for my best friend. You're looking two $80 acoustics that look and play uh, arguably louder and better than their $500 counterparts. Uh, I call mine a Canon guitar. I had very little setup out of the box, uh, and I recommend these guitars to anybody that's wanting an affordable guitar. A campfire guitar, not a camp wood guitar. A, camp, yeah. a campfire guitar you play around <clears throat> right. a campfire. A camp wood guitar you throw yeah. in when you're done. Great starter. Great starter guitar. Give yeah. them a call at 1-606-404-6286. Again, that's 1-606-404-6286. That's Glary Guitars, GlaryMusic.com. Rock on. Rock on. We got that thing running on high, don't we? Yeah. Did we have it running on medium last time? I don't remember. We... I mean, I don't want us to die, but something is popping these mics tonight. I don't think we'll die, but... Okay. If we get super sweaty, <laughs> I'll wipe my boob sweat on your boob sweat and we'll towel oh. off. And then I got, <laughs> I got boob sweat, I'm telling you. But, I mean, I took a shower. I washed my ass right for you before right I came over right here. On, right on. So, uh, it's the first time I've done it in 13 days. <laughs> well. Shit's <laughs> <laughs> in Kurt's face. That's not true. I washed it Wednesday night and Thursday. I didn't do it. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, shit. This is going to be a good episode. I have not been as excited about an episode in a while. I don't know. I just I got super excited this about this. This is a sneaky World Series when you looked at it on paper. It was. Yes. It was. Okay, Kurt. So let's, let's do it. I don't know what in the hell is going on with these mics popping. You're over there. I'm over there. I don't really hear. Well, I got your volume and your headphones turned down. Let me turn okay. the mics down a little bit. And just. Hey, Kurt. Yes. Say happy, happy rainbows. Happy, happy rainbows. That's really weird. That was weird. But it worked. I tried to make it weird. <laughs> let me turn you. Let me turn you on a seven. Let me turn you on a seven. I'll make take sure. a seven. I got everything. Technical difficulties, folks. Stay with us. Please stand by. All right, we're just gonna we're gonna go with this. That 
I can still feel the AC a little bit, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So to the best of our knowledge, every episode provide or every episode, to the best of our knowledge, all information provided tonight was and is factual. Any opinions will clearly be stated as opinion based beforehand. Any audio heard tonight falls under the 1970 copyright rule thingamajigger that's dedicated for fair use and educational purposes. Anything we play, all rights go to the correct owners of the said property. Yeah. So, with that being said, this is how I'm going to start this out. As we've mentioned before on this show, just after the end of the COVID-era 2020 World Series, ESPN writer Sam Miller did a breakdown of all, at the time... 116 World Series. It's soon to be in the next couple months, 118. Let me quote directly from that. He said, To rank every fall classic, we here at ESPN leaned on four primary factors. Game leverage index, which we borrowed from baseball reference, which measures how close the game is on each play and how likely the next play is to shift each team's chances of winning. A game that's close for nine innings and won by a walk-off in the 10th will rate much better than one in which a team jumps ahead early and runs away with the game. We rank them on championship leverage index, front we borrowed from the baseball gauge. It's similar to game leverage index, except it includes how close the series is itself. A seven game series, a seven game series will rate much better than a sweep. How memorable the series was. The 1988 World Series wasn't very close, but it produces instant recall for one inning alone, which would be... Uh, sorry? Kurt Gibson's home run. Yeah. And then finally, how significantly, how historically significant and satisfying the World Series is. So, uh... Where's this one fall? Well, I saved it for the end of the episode. Okay. So we shall see. Right. All right, bro. You ready? Yep. Here we go. Uh... Hoping uh, everything holds out good quality-wise tonight. I don't know why I'm hearing these mics pop like I am, but we're... That didn't help help any? That helped a little bit, I think. Okay. All right. The 1990 World Series was the 87th World Series, and it was featured a... And it's a best-of-seven playoff between the defending heavily favored American League champion Oakland Athletics and the National League champion Cincinnati Reds. The Reds would go on to defeat the Athletics in a four-game sweep, which we will break down here tonight. But it was the fifth four-game sweep of the National League and the second by the Reds after they previously had done it in 1976. It was the second consecutive World Series to end in a sweep after the Athletics did it the season prior to the San Francisco Giants and what I personally consider the worst or second-worst World Series in history. This game is remembered for multiple things. Billy Hatcher's seven consecutive <laughs> hits, which we'll talk about at length. Right. The sweep extended the Reds' World Series winning streak to nine games, dating wow. all the way back to 75. This was also the second World Series meeting between the two clubs, as Oakland had won four games to three back in 1972. And as of 2022, this remains both teams' last World Series appearance. Athletics manager Tony LaRussa and Reds manager Lou Pinello were old friends and teammates from their prior association in the Tampa American Legion Post 248 team. So, Lou Pinello. Lou, sweet Lou Pinello. Sweet Lou Pinello. What is that sound? Oh, that's, that's, that's Dole. Yeah. <clears throat> I forgot to sign up for the Fantasy League. i got to do that tonight. Oh. 
Uh, you ain't no need to. I'm gonna win it. Hands yeah. Down. Hey, Dole, can I still? Do I still got time to sign up? What? Do I still got time to sign up? I keep forgetting to do it. For the, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Hey, look, my calendar, my calendar, on my laptop just popped. Podcast tonight. Huh. <laughs> I already knew. Uh, Kurt. Yes. Did you know that in 1990 there was no NL or AL division series? Both uh, teams would go straight to their respective league championship series, as Major League Baseball would not adapt the division series until the 1995 season following the realignment into three divisions. Right. So the best of seven, then. Mm-hmm. No best of five. No best of five, right. So once again, the defending champion Oakland Athletics returned for their third consecutive fall classic, determined to start the decade as they had ended the last as world champions. Throughout the late 80s, Oakland had maintained dominant play on both sides of the ball. Oh, yeah. Many people felt the title would be a foregone conclusion, and people believed a dynasty was starting to form in Oakland. Uh, as the perennial champions had just completed a 10-game winning streak thanks to the most well-balanced rosters in all of baseball. Now, the 1990 season was their 23rd in Oakland. It was their 90th season in franchise history, and they finished in the American League West with a record of 103 and 59. Yeah, they ran away with it. I'm telling you, you get 100 wins in a season, yeah. you're cooking. You're cooking, yeah. So that's one of their best seasons in history. Um, they led the league outright in wins for the third straight year. They remained the last major North American team to accomplish this until 2017 when the feat was matched just across the bay by the Golden State Warriors. The Athletics benefited from stellar performances in all areas of the game. The offense was led by future Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson, Henderson, who finished the season with 65 stolen bases, 28 home runs, and a 325 batting average, and took home the 1990 AL MVP. That's pretty impressive, folks. And I want to I want to reiterate this again. Henderson come on board this team he signed in in the offseason or, or trade or something he, he came on board in november of 89 so came over from the yankees i think was it the yankees I, I, what i was thinking it was i thought i heard mccarver say it at uh oakland also benefited from strong performances by their superstars their two superstars in my opinion they're the two real superstars the right. Bash Brothers. Right. Bash Brothers, yeah. Jose Canseco and as... Roy. <laughs> Roy. And as uh, Kurt recanted earlier, a very young... Art McGuire. Probably Roy Free there. Roy Free, yeah. He was just a beast. Them two together clubbed 39 and 37 home runs respectively. 39 for McGuire, 37 for Canseco. They drove in a combined a combined total, just these two guys alone, of 209 runs in the wow. 1990 season. That's impressive. Now, over the course of the season, they added a strong offense. The additions of recent All Stars Willie Randolph, Willie McGee, Harold Baines, Harold pretty Baines. pretty much furthered the gap yes. Yes. between Oakland and the rest of the league. Now they had established veterans on this roster: Carney, Lansford, Terry. 
Steinbach. Yeah, uh, Steinbach, yeah. The other Henderson, Dave. Dave Hindu Henderson. And Mike Gallego. Mike Gallego. We have never, ever talked about Mike Gallego no, on the show have before. Pretty good, solid utility infielder. And they, they also had a had a young foundation of, of, of players, too. Uh, Walt. Weiss. Walt Weiss. He was injured, though, for that. Yes, and uh, one of my favorite players uh, when I was a younger, you know, five, six, seven, uh, Mike Bordick. Bordick? Yeah. He was uh, a rookie, I think. Now, uh, so basically, and I'll... I'll I'll, I'll give credit where credit due. On paper, this looked like pretty much the one of the deepest rosters, if not the deepest roster, in all the majors. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Okay, eight of the Athletics' nine main postseason starters all played in at least one All-Star game in this three-year time span between '88 and '90. Now, this is where it gets a little good because uh, what do I love more than anything about baseball? What gets me excited? Pitching, pitching, pitching. The athletics pitching staff had a had a maybe stronger campaign. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the starting rotation was led by veteran Bob Welch. Yeah. Kurt, do you know? And if you do, tell tell everybody. How many games did Bob Welch win in 1990? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. There's pitchers in 2022 in Major League Baseball that don't win 27 games. Day one starters right. that don't win twenty seven uh, games right. in two seasons, right? That yeah. don't even get to start twenty seven <coughs> games. Yeah, that's true. Two seasons. So uh, this guy here, he was a, a what season always, veteran. Too. What I always like to say, he's out there on the mound and he's dealing, dealing, yep. dealing, dealing, dealing. Yep. Season uh, veteran. What was his ERA that season? You know, it's like three something. I think just under two ninety five no ERA. Problem. Yeah. Pretty damn good in the American League when you face a pitcher. And that was strong enough to get him the AL Cy Young for 1990. Uh, And as of 2021, Bob Welch, or, uh, and I didn't check this year, but as of 2021, Bob Welch remains the last major league pitcher to win at least least 25 games in a season. But it gets better. Fellow starter Dave Stewart won 22 games and finished in a tie with Pittsburgh starter Doug Drabeck Drabeck for the second most wins in Major League Baseball. Drabeck would go on to win the NL Cy Young. Yes. Okay. Stewart would have 20-plus wins for the fourth consecutive season. So that's four straight seasons this guy's winning at least 20, if not more, games. Dealing. <clears throat> that's a that's a bullpen that gets me that gets right. me up. What's what's the word I can make up? That gets me a baseball chubby. <laughs> oh, it's that. not a chubby to it's not, <laughs> you don't think about baseball when you got the chubby when you're not supposed to have the chubby. It's just you get a baseball chubby, chubby. you get excited about baseball. Uh, there you go. There you go. Hey, look. <laughs> a baseball chubby. Pitching like that gets me a baseball right, chubby. Right. Okay. Uh 1989 All-Star Mike Moore. Yeah. 1991 All-Star Scott Sanderson yep. and longtime athletic pitcher Kurt Young yep. rounded out the AL's uh, top rotation. The Athletics' bullpen was led by superstar closer Dennis Eckersley, who posted, and Kurt and I were talking about this when I pulled up in his driveway, Eckersley, that 1990 season, had a .61 ERA 
with 48 saves. I start the bus. Turn out the lights. The party's <gasps> over. I like that. Numbers, you know what I mean? I like that. Okay. As a team, the Athletics only allowed 570 runs, fewest in the AL by a big gap. Okay. The AL, e- uh, the Athletics easily won the AL West for the third straight year. Okay. With a four, uh, en route to a, uh, a third consecutive AL pennant with a four game sweep of Roger Clemens and the, the Red Sox. Boston Red Sox. <laughs> okay. The curse um, was still with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. The sweep was made sweeter for them, not for me, because I've, I've always been a Clemens guy. Because what happened in game four of that ALCS with Roger Clemens? Do you remember? I can't remember. He got his ass ejected okay. for arguing <laughs> balls, balls and strikes shot. and cussing at the umpires. Yeah, yeah. When he said, I was just cussing at the mound. I was pissed. No, you were cussing at the ref, and they kicked your ass out of the game. Right. So, would you like to uh, break down the championship series games or not? Yeah. That's up. Okay. I mean, we do a quick rundown through them, yeah. Yeah, there's not very, there's not very much here for for everything. Sweet. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Saturday, October 6, nineteen ninety, uh, under the Green Mile at Fenway, game one of the ALCS. Uh, Oakland sent Dave Stewart to the mound against Roger Clemens. This was a pitcher's duel, baseball chubby, <laughs> right, baseball right, chubby. Okay, right. right. Uh, scoreless until the bottom of the fourth inning. Red Sox third baseman, legendary. Uh, he did some. Wade he did some vignettes Wade, in the WWF with Wade, Kurt Henning. Wade Boggs, Mr. Perfect. Wade Boggs, another great two-strike hitter. There you folks. go. That's your catchphrase. He's a great two-strike he was hitter. A great two-strike hitter. Wear a pitcher out. He did. He'd wear a pitcher out. That's that's af- absolutely true. Uh, Boggs would launch a home run off Stewart, mounting scoring threats in the next couple innings, but the Athletics failed to deliver against the Rocket. Uh, he could throw hard. Wade Boggs' home run would go on to be the only home run in the entire ALCS. Really? Yes. Wow. Oakland came through in the seventh when Larry Anderson replaced Clemens on the mound. Anderson stupidly walked McGuire and was then forced out, who was then forced out at second by the next batter, Walt Weiss. Weiss. A single by pinch hitter Jamie Quirk moved Weiss to third. And he became, and he came home on a sacrifice fly by Mister Hot Stuff himself, Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson, a lot of flair, dude. He has a lot of lot of flair. He's, he's like Rick Flair of baseball or something, you know. He's like the Wish.com version of Deion Sanders. Yeah, I mean, he's got flair, but ain't nobody beating Deion. In the eighth inning, the A's would take the lead. Uh, as Jose Canseco singled, was sacrificed over to second by Harold Baines, stole third, and then played it on single by Carney Lansford. And then in the ninth inning, what's one of my favorite phrases, the wheels come off <laughs> for Boston as Oakland blew the game wide open by erupting for seven runs, a historic distinction done only twice before in the postseason in the first in 20 years. Henderson led the way with a two-run single, a stolen base, Terry Steinbach and Willie Randolph added RBI base hits, and Canseco chipped in with a sacrifice fly. With the game now far from a save situation, Athletics closer Dennis Eckerly shut down Boston in the bottom half of the inning, giving Oakland a 9-1 victory. That's right, 9-1 victory. So the very next night, Sunday, October 7th, again under the Green Monster at Fenway, 
Oakland sent Bob Welch to the mound against Boston's Dana. Kecker? Who? Kecker. I don't remember him for some reason. Uh... Boston struck against Welch in the third as Luis Rivera doubled, took third on a Jody Reed grounder, and scored on a sacrifice fly by Carlos. Is that Carlos Quinta? It is Carlos Quinta. Oakland got a run back in the very next half of the inning as Willie McGee doubled and scored on a single by Baines. Willie McGee was fast. He was. Uh, In the sixth inning, Boston manager Joe Morgan pulled Dana in favor of the bullpen, and as they had in game one, the A's went to work. Mike Gallego. That's just become our thing. I throw to you (laughs) and you say the last name. Mike Gallego and Ricky Henderson ripped consecutive singles, and McGee forced Henderson moving Gallego to third. He came home on a ground out by Baines, which would give the A's a 2-1 advantage. So now we move to the ninth inning where the Athletics extended their lead by three runs courtesy of an RBI double by Baines and a run-scoring single by McGuire. Eckersley worked a 1-2-3 ninth to secure his first save of the series, and Oakland took a 2-0 ALCS lead back to the Coliseum in Alameda County. Nobody's surprised at this point. No, no, absolutely not. So they give him a day of rest. So Tuesday, October 9th, 1990, Game 3, uh, the Red Sox threw Mike Bodecker, who had been the 83 ALS MVP with, do you remember who Who he played with? Baltimore. Okay. And they put him against the Athletics' Mike Moore. In the second, the Red Sox drew first blood when Mike Greenwell walked up to third on a single by Dwight Evans and came home on a sacrifice fly. Boston continued to lead until the bottom of the fourth when the A's struck for two runs and Kitseko and Baines both got on base and then executed a double steal. I heard luck. He's in here. He went and got in the house. I lost my luck. You made me lose my place. <laughs> um, okay, Kitseko and Baines both got on base and then executed a double steal, which sent Kitseko to score on a Dave Henderson sacrifice fly and Baines eventually to plate on a single by Willie Randolph. So they're moving. Right. Conseco was freakishly fast, too, for a big guy. Holy crap. He could deceptively, that's deceptively, my word. Yeah. He was deceptively. He's a freak. Roy's. <laughs> <laughs> In the sixth inning, Oakland added a pair of runs to their lead thanks to some shoddy fielding by the Red Sox. An yeah. error by Riviera on a ground ball allowed Baines to reach base, take second on a fly out by McGuire, and then moved to third when Dave Henderson was forced out by Steinbach. An RBI single by Randolph scored Baines and moved Steinbach to third, and then Steinbach would boldly try to steal home plate and was gunned down. But an error by his Boston counterpart, Tony Pena, resulted in another run. In the ninth, Eckersley picked up his second save as Oakland took a 3-0 series lead. So, the next night, Game 4, Wednesday, October 10th, 1990. This is a pitching rematch of Game 1 as they send Stewart to the mound against Clemens again. In the bottom of the second, the Rocket gave up consecutive singles to Carney Lansford and Steinbach and both advanced on base due to a throwing error by Greenwell. 
Maguire would then force Steinbach, driving in Lansford with the first run of the game. Randolph was the next batter, and when home plate umpire Terry Cooney judged Clemens' fifth pitch to him to be ball four, Clemens lost his shit, letting loose a stream of (laughs) profanities and throwing a temper tantrum. Clemens, to this day, claims he was talking into his glove. However... Cooney assumed the comments were directed at him and promptly ejected Clemens. Thank God for the internet and YouTube because YouTube videos show Clemens looking at and directly talking to Cooney. Boston manager Joe Morgan and Clemens fiercely argued the call, and then the Red Sox bench exploded with Clemens' teammates hurling water coolers and littering onto the field. Uh, Just a complete shit show. Yeah, what a bunch of thugs, huh? Act like You've been here before, boys. Yes. Act like professionals. There's, you know, seven-year-old yeah, children, exactly. 10-year-old children looking at their heroes. Yeah. Acting like a bunch of little bitches. Yeah, it was bad. In the end, Clemens and Barrett were thrown out, and angry Barrett had merited his ejection by throwing <laughs> shit onto the field, literally. Uh, well, not literally. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> I just see me look at you like, I what? see you look at me. Curdy didn't pull his pants down a monkey fling it on the field. No, that's not. Okay. I wish, you know, one of these days we're going to video these podcasts like I always talk about. I wish you could have seen. I look over like. Because I said throwing his shit on the field. Literally, literally. Kurt looked at me and you could just, I could just see it in his eyes. He's envisioning, he's envisioning Barrett in the dugout oh, no. just shitting into his hand like a monkey. No, that's not. Okay, okay, all right. Wow. I'm trying to be mature, and you bring the child out in me every time. (laughs) Where the hell were we? Okay, the ejection proved to be the turning point of the game as Mike Gallego proceeded to belt a double to center field off Clemens' replacement, who would be Tom Bolton, which would score both McGuire and Randolph. The Red Sox briefly mounted a last-ditch rally in the top of the ninth, scoring a single run courtesy of Ellis Burks and a double. Ellis Burks. And then a single by Jody Reed. Jody Reed. But uh, athletics reliever Rick Honeycutt yep. got Greenwell to ground out, handing Oakland its third straight AL pennant. This was Oakland's last post-series, postseason series win to date. Damn. So now uh, it should be noted that uh, as far as how we get to the World Series, I have more information on the Reds because – they're the underdog story here. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a little bit more, because we all know. I, I I don't really want to. I don't really want to use this for Oakland, but for that three year period there, Oakland did Oakland things. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyways, the uh, little red machine. Not the big red machine. Not this the time. big red machine. The little red the machine. Little red machine. The nasty boys. Yes. Not the WWE nasty boys. No. Shout out me, get my wrestling reference in. The Cincinnati Reds' 1990 season was their 122nd season in baseball. They started with a club-best nine straight wins, nine out of the first ten to open the season, as well as holding the top spot in the National League West every game yep. during the season. Wire to wire, yep. They went 41-21 and 21 after 62 games, splitting the remaining 100 games 50-50, to finish the regular season with a 91-71 record. It consisted of the 91-71 Reds winning the NL West by five games over the second place. Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, it breaks your heart, don't yeah, it? Yeah. 
as well as the National League Championship Series in six games over the Pittsburgh Pirates and the World Series in a four-game sweep over the overwhelming favorite Oakland Athletics. This was the fifth World Series for the the Reds and their first since winning two back-to-back titles in 75 and 76. Led by new manager Lou Piniella, the Reds achieved the rare feat of being in first place every day of the season, wire to wire. They became the first National League team to do so. Starting pitcher Jack Armstrong was a catalyst for the team's fast start, as he won eight of his first nine games and was 11-3 through the All-Star break. Because of his strong first half, Armstrong was selected to be the starting pitcher for the All-Star game. The Reds would clinch the NL West division on Saturday, September 29th in a rain-shortened 7-inning 3-1 home loss to San Diego. The second-place Dodgers lost to the Giants at the same time, mathematically clinching the division for Cincinnati with four games left to go. Now let's back up a little bit here. Lou Pinnell was hired by Reds owner Marge Schott in November 1989 to turn the team around. Led by new manager Lou Pinella, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Reds would achieve the rare feat of being in first place every day this season. Now, there's going to be some skipping around in here. I tried to keep this all together, but you got to understand, everybody, I did these notes about a month ago, and then Kurt pulled a fucking Kaiser Soze on me two or three days ago. I was like, let's do this. So I busted the notes out today, and I went over them and added stuff, and I guess I missed stuff I should have took out or left it. So we're going to do our best. So the reason I say that is because we're talking about this, and then I jumped to something about the Nasty Boys. In an interview prior to the start of the season, Reds reliever and member of the Nasty Boys bullpen, Randy Myers, said, if we can win our first 30-35 games, we'll be in first place in the NL West. The Reds would go, in fact, 23-7 and in their first 30 games. Uh, let's see. Um... Cincinnati was well represented at the 1990 All-Star Game in Chicago. In addition to Armstrong at pitcher, Chris Sabo, Barry Larkin, Rob Dibble, and Brandy Myers were all reserves. You're just looking at the stats? Yeah, I'm just looking at you. Another new face in the Reds locker room that season was Randy Myers. He was acquired from the Mets for closer John Franco and become part of the Nasty Boys along with Rob Dibble and Norm Charlton. Combined, these three guys, 44 saves, Myers with 31, Dibble with 11, Charlton with 2. Myers would become one of the league's elite closers while being selected as an all-star in 1990. Myers would win his second world championship as the Reds swept the Oakland Athletics. The Nasty Boys were the Reds' three flamethrowing relievers, Dibble, Myers, and Charlton, and emerged as arguably... The most talented late-inning pitchers in postseason history, said John Fay of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Now, why they along to believe a trio, um, Rob Dibble has long since said it was actually a fivesome when you include Tim Leanna and Tim, I can't say his last name, Burgess. Burgess. Uh, but history will always show them three as a trio. Um, something I put in here. Let's see. Uh, they're combined for 44 saves, 351 strikeouts. Uh, the nickname "The Nasty Boys" was derived from the lyrics of a Janet Jackson song <laughs> called "Nasty." <laughs> it was also derived of the fact of the Detroit Pistons' "Bad Boys" era, which you hear us talk yes. about many times in our open. Uh, 
Anyways, Dibble would boast an impressive 1.7 ERA for the year, and Myers would tout an impressive feat of his own of 31 saves in 66 games. Combined, the Nasty Boys pitched eight and two-thirds innings of the 1990 World Series and gave up no earned runs on six hits. Dibble got a win in Game 2. Myers picked up a save in Game 4. Prior to the series, Myers and Dibble had shared the League Championship Series Most Valuable Player Award. As it turned out, the trio would only play together for two seasons. Myers left after the 1991 season. Charlton, having played for the team since 88, left after the 92 season. And Dibble, also a Red since 1988, left the following year. As such, none of the players were present for the next postseason appearance for the Reds, which would come in 1995. Now, I'm kind of keeping on this Nasty Boys thing because, hey, pitching gives me a what? Chubby. A baseball chubby. A baseball chubby. Not an actual chubby. That would be weird. If I had a chubby set next to you, that would be so wrong. But it's a theoretical chubby. Right. It means I like good pitching. It means pitching gets me excited. Right. A baseball chubby. Right. Uh, an article written just this past year in November uh, on Baseball Heritage website by Owen McAman. He uh, did a little talking about the Nasty Boys. And it, there, there's something in here. He, he's got a big, long thing right up about the Nasty Boys. Uh, it's only about a paragraph. I'm not going to read it all. There was a couple things I wanted to point out in his article. What he said is, players in 2021 get chastised by older media members for pumping fists after a strikeout or flipping a bat after a home run. The days of purposeful bean balls at batters, bench-clearing brawls, fist fights, and players clashing with managers are hopefully in the rearview mirror, but players showing personality will always endear themselves to the fans. None of the nasty boys are or will ever be enshrined in Cooperstown. And you know what? That's okay. You don't have to be an all-time great to be absolutely dominant at your peak. And that's what the 1990 season was for the Nasty Boys. Dominant. Unhittable and scary. Three beasts that brought a championship back to Cincinnati. They and three were the heartbeat of the team. Yeah, throwing to a guy that looked like John Daly baseball. I mean, Joe Oliver. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Joe Oliver, him and John Daly, I bet they had the same mannerisms and characteristics. I just bet you. I bet you he was talking about talking to the hitters and stuff, you know. Yeah, your wife, you know. She, I, 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 got on, I got on TikTok the other night. Adam Sweet. Adam Sweet, what did you do when you first? So Adam, so Adam Sweet's the whole reason. <laughs> yeah. And you tell him I talked about him on the All episode right. when you get back to work Monday. Adam Sweet's the whole reason. I have TikTok because he used to send me shit all the time and it would not let me view it. I had to create a TikTok. Right. So I finally created TikTok, watched it, and now it's a huge waste of my time. I, I look, get you on there. You want to do Nautica? <laughs> it's, it's like down you the road. Do, you want to do something like that? What? Randonautica. Ain't that on TikTok? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, I thought Patrick, you probably heard of it. Some weird shit. Um, I seen a John Daly video, sidebar, seen a John Daly video. He pulls up, gets off the golf cart. Have you seen John Daly lately? Uh-uh. He's got a gr- he's got a big grown beard now. It's not oh, yeah? ba- not baby face anymore. <laughs> white hair just white as snow. He pulls out and some fan mouse him and they said, Why do you eat so much? You're fat and he said, I'm too busy eating your mom's pussy. <laughs> Sorry folks, not safe for work. But then it goes further. He, somebody tossed him a beer, and he shotguns it right there. He said, where's the first tee? What's the course record? 
love John I, Daly. I do too. I loved. I want to get. He don't some, give a fuck, and that's what I, I want like about it. I want to get some loudmouth golf. I love loudmouth yeah. golf, but they don't make their clothes for fat people. Well, maybe they do because Daly's a big boy. But I want to wear some like outlandish, bright as hell John Daly <laughs> golf pants out there on the course. Uh, you want? Let's let's. Uh, might be too early to pay a bill. Is it too uh, early? I mean, we got a lot to cover. Is it too early to pay a bill? I'd say we get through this. Well, let's let's uh let's get let let's get through everything before we go to the World yeah. Series. Yes. Because I mean, we got we got a lot of content to cover. I'm I'm super excited about this episode. Now we got to figure out how we're going to eat a pizza. And yeah, we got to We got to so, Kurt's. Kurt, we're getting pizza, and we're going to take. We got to have a halfway break. We go yeah. out and yeah. play at the uh, Kelly complex. Sport, sports complex out yeah. here. Yeah. The only place in the state of Indiana where you can have a basketball court and a wiffle ball field That's right. in your backyard with with, with, with with foul ball with foul ball lines and everything. Yes, foul poles. Foul poles. Fence. And cars used as fencing. Fencing. Yes. All right. Uh, the 1990 National League Championship Series was played between the Reds who were 91-71 that season, and the Pittsburgh Pirates, who finished 95-67. and 67. This will be the first playoff appearance for both teams since 1979. Wait. What? Since 1979. And the fifth NLCS meeting overall was Cincinnati winning the pennant over Pittsburgh. They done it in 70, 72, and 75, while Pittsburgh beat Cincinnati in 79. Oh, so these yeah. guys have met each other. Right. Yeah, in postseason several yeah. times. Okay. Of course, Cincinnati would go on to win the series four games of two. <clears throat> this was the only NLCS during the 1990s that did not feature the Atlanta Braves and was the first of four straight to feature either my Philadelphia Phillies or the Pittsburgh Pirates. Between game two in Cincinnati and game three in Pittsburgh, the teams took two days off instead of the one. That was because on Sunday, October 7th, I don't know why I felt inclined to put this in here, the Steelers needed to use Three Rivers Stadium for their scheduled game against the San Diego Superchargers. And I'm assuming, just a sideball here, 1990, would that still have been oh, uh, Dan Fouts at QB in 1990 uh, for the Chargers? It probably, probably was. I love me some Dan Fouts. Not not Dan Fouts guy. No, I See like, it on your face. Uh, no, no, I like Dan Fouts. I'm trying to think if he'd still been around in '90. I, I, he might have been gone by then. Maybe. Maybe. It would definitely been in his twilight in his career era. There. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. To this day, I'll defend it. One of the top ten. I can't go top five. But probably one of the top ten of all time. Yeah, he, he was Eric pretty Coriel. good. Pretty good. Yeah. He's eating our chips. I don't know what these are, but I Grippos. told Kurt. No, they're not grip. They are grippos, but they're not the hot. They're uh, sweet onion Maui. Uh, they're damn good. I need a little more flavor on it, though. The flavor. More flavor. But they are pretty good. I'm not supposed to be <laughs> chewing while I'm on the mic. Oh, What's the most annoying sound in the world? Bam. We need a pizza. Yeah. Not out here. Send it. Call it in. Okay. Hey, I'm going to pause it. 
We'll be right back, folks. You'll never know we're gone. Okay, we're back. I had to fill my cup up. We're looking at pizza stuff. Possibly Papa John's. I'm fat. Kurt's fat. We're hungry. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Game one, NLCS. I want... Make sure they give us extra garlic. Because I'm on a garlic kick now. Okay, game one, NLCS. Thursday, October 4th, 1990 at Riverfront in Cincinnati. The Pirates took the first game with a 4-3 victory. Um, game running runs scored in the seventh when Andy Van Slyke yeah. hit a routine inning <clears throat> fly out that was misjudged by Davis in left field and scored Gary Reedus. Bob Walk was the starting pitcher for Pittsburgh against Jose Rio. The Reds had two doubles in the bottom half of the first inning and scored three runs. These will prove to be the only runs they could bring across the plate the whole game. For Pittsburgh, and here's a name we haven't talked about, Sid Bream. Yeah, underrated. Very underrated player. Sid Bream would hit a two-run home run in the fourth inning to tie the game. The proverbial key play for the game for the Pirates uh, was throwing out pinch runner Billy Bates, the trailing runner at the back end of a double, stealing the ninth inning to get the second out. Uh, so anyways... Pittsburgh took game one of the series and clinched home field advantage. Uh, Jim Leland was a great man. Jim Leland. Uh, we got some Jim Leland stuff coming up here right down on, the line. Right on. Game two, Friday, October 5th, once again in Cincinnati, taking the mound, the NL Cy Young Award winner, okay. Doug oh, Drayback. Drayback, against Tom Browning yeah. for a weekday afternoon game That's two. Weird. Afternoon. Cincinnati again scored in the first inning when uh, Barry Larkin. Yeah. Barry Larkin and the boys. Man, the boys. What I texted you this morning. Barry Larkin and the boys, and you're excited. I was. I was so. <laughs> Baseball show. <laughs> long before. Long before we decided that we were going to do this episode tonight. Long before we decided a month ago when we were originally supposed to do this episode. One of me and Kurt's things is. Uh, when we, because we talk sports all day long. When I used to work with him, right. and we still talk sports. I text him, he texts me. Oh, yeah. One of the things when we'd be talking baseball and we'd talk somehow get on the Reds, Kurt would always be Barry Larkin in the boy, just as fast <laughs> as he could get it out of his mouth. Wait, sounded kind of as fast as he could say the words. They came out Barry Larkin in the boys. Wait, wait a minute. Barry Larkin in the boys. So I was just texting him today. He was texting me. He was watching early this morning. He was watching Game Three, and I was. Uh, revising the notes and I was like Barry Larkin and the boys Barry Larkin and the boys yes so anyways uh, first inning Barry Larkin walked he would then steal second and went to third on a hard single by Mr. Herm Winningham and scored on a single by Paul O'Neill the Pirates would come back Kurt they would tie it in the fifth uh, when Jose Lynn better known for defense yes crushed a ball out the park Right. The Pirates appeared ready to take the lead in the sixth when Andy Van Slyke singled and went in a single on or went to second on a single by Bobby Bonilla. Bonilla Bobby Bonilla Day. July first yeah, yeah. until twenty thirty five. Yeah, that's crazy. We talked about that last yeah, time I was here. Yeah. Bobby Bonilla Day. Overrated. Oh God, very overrated. Yeah. Never was a Bobby Bonilla guy. He couldn't switch it for anything. Anyway. He couldn't hit from. No, he could not 
couldn't rake that well now. I was going to make a dick joke out of it, but just let it go. Just <laughs> let it go. Something about hinting and sex, and I don't know where I was going with it, but it probably wouldn't have been that funny anyways. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so with two on, nobody out. A young pirate slugger named Barry Bond. Come up for a chance. Hey, he smoked. He's going to hate them. For what? He smoked and drank. Oh, the gas station's up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I lost my train of thought. A young Barry Bonds came up with a chance for a big inning. He popped out to deep right. Van Slyke attempted to advance, but Paul O'Neill threw a perfect strike to Chris Sabo, who tagged Van Slyke for a 9-5 double play. A weird double play, 9-5. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Don't see that very often. No. You want to tell everybody what a 9-5 double play is? Be a put out by the right. Uh, yeah, be put out. It would be the right field, wouldn't right it? Right field, yes. And he throws to third base for the out. It's a weird. That is a weird. That's a rare play. and weird double play. Yes. What's your favorite double play? My favorite double play? Yeah. Six four three. Shortstop, second base, first. I played a couple of those on. Uh, I br- so. Yeah. My show. Yeah. Your show. Right. We're allowed to take sidebars. Oh yeah. They can turn it off. They don't want to right, listen to it. Right. 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 For some reason, they keep listening to it. <laughs> so we're going to continue on. Right. So, the, so, the kids yeah. have been wanting to to get a, a video game console at the house. you got to remember, folks, we don't see each other that often. No, we, I, we so don't work together anymore. Right, so we kind of we fill each other in. Stop yeah. Everyone. Yeah. yeah, so our life, show. Life and, hey, all the positive feedback we're, we're starting to get now is from you guys basically saying, you know, do you like the... The chemistry we have together. Don't look at me with those <laughs> eyes when I say chemistry. Oh, the hazel eyes. The, the, anyways. Uh, but, yeah. Anyways, so here, think of this as bonus content, extended content. Right. Get so to the, know a little bit about us, our family. Or what so, so the kids been wanting to get a video game console. Right. Okay. So I've been thinking about this. And, uh, it's Mel, 4175. Holy cow. How much? I told him we'll just worry about it when they get here. I don't have cash. <laughs> I can't hear you. Uh, I got some cash, I think, but I don't know if I got that much. I don't have any cash. They'll, they'll take your card. I'll give you the cash. Okay, guys, we're back. We, uh, I, I got the, anyway, what the fuck were we even, Okay. So the kids, the kids been asking yeah, about a yeah, video yeah. game console, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, their their mom and uh, her boyfriend, I guess. You, you know, my oldest, he's eleven. He's got a Nintendo Switch. My middle one, she's eight. She only plays games on a tablet. But they got they've got a video game an Xbox Series X. Right. I have an Xbox 360. Okay. That I bought ten years ago, in 2012. I dusted the son of a bitch off about a week and a half ago. <laughs> and um, I've been playing MLB 2K13. Oh, yeah. 2K13. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I got MLB. That game come out like 11 years ago. I got MLB 18, 19. I don't want to say nothing, but pitcher number 19, Jared Atkins for the Seattle Mariners. His, uh, 
He's won three AL Cy Youngs in five seasons. That's pretty impressive. Don't ask me what my what my ratings are. <laughs> Whatever your ratings. Well, I cheat. Everything's high. <laughs> the Mariners have won at least 120 games what? in all six seasons. What they have they are they have won four out of the last six World Series. The only they lost one and didn't make the postseason in the other. I've won three out of five AL Cy Youngs, and the only year I didn't win the Cy Young, my, my teammate, Buttercup Cupid, <laughs> that's his name because they auto-generate names, Buttercup Cupid won the Cy Young. As a reliever. Hey, is somebody hitting the restart button? Restart. No, fuck no, I'm not. I just put all my ratings in 99 oh, overall. I oh, cheat. I see. Wow. You know what my favorite pitch is I throw? Knuckleball. No. What do I always talk about? The infamous Ephus pitch. Ephus pitch, yeah. I throw a 60, 65 mile an hour ball with 37 inches of fucking break on it. <laughs> right on, right on. So anyways, everyone want to get a new console? Hey, what's, the, right. what's the zip code? 47532. Okay, it's 47532. Okay. Okay. But anyway, so I've been looking at getting a new system. So you're a gamer, huh? Uh... I haven't been for years, but I've been getting back into it because I've been playing base. I've been getting excited about baseball. MLB twenty two, you ought to get it. And me and Doyle get it. And uh, I'm I'm trying to decide right now between team, a PS five and a new Xbox. Man, PS four is where you want to go. Yeah, Why? most affordable, and you can play it. I mean, if you you ain't getting no PS five, I'll just tell you right now. Why are they and hard you can to let get? The record show. Are yeah. they hard to get? Uh, yeah, they're pretty hard. Fucking expensive, too. I mean, I, I can hook you up. I, I, know somebody that, I know somebody that sells them, but, I mean, they're not affordable. Literally over $1,000. That's ridiculous on a game console. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Back to work. So, I was just telling you, because I've been enjoying baseball. Right. Like, so, uh, I don't even know where we're at. We're in game two here, I guess. So, uh, okay. Nine, five, double plays. Yeah, that's where we was at. I went that whole thought because I had the I hit the four six three double play like twice today. Damn it! I've been playing a lot. All right, that's cool. The show? No, two no. K MLB two K thirteen. That was the last year two K made an MLB game before they all went to the show. I told him he needs to get. We need all need to get like twenty. I get a new system. I'll get an NBA. I'll get a. We play MLB the show. Game. Or PlayStation exclusive. So you guys can't be playing on a PlayStation and I can't be playing on an Xbox and be playing together? No, they don't make the baseball game for Xbox. Not the show. Well, that's ridiculous. They make every video game they make for a console. Back in the day, 10 years ago they did. If you could get it on PS3 console, you could get it on Xbox 360 console. The show's always been a PlayStation What the f- San Diego Productions. Like the game you'd be playing would be like ESPN baseball, right? Like it's ESPN format? Who's the yeah. announcers and stuff oh, like that? Oh, John Crook. Yeah, that's definitely John Crook. Yeah. Steve Phillips. Oh, yeah. He's a rapist. Who's a rapist? Steve Phillips. Oh, bullshit. Yes, he is. Is he? This episode's getting way off track. <laughs> I should have just paused this. <laughs> Steve Phillips? Okay. We're... There's a lot to unpack here. I just recommend we burn the suitcase instead. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you see Kurt's face right now. <laughs> Remember when I used to make fun of you by saying squirrel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's me now. Yeah, squirrel. Squirrel. 
Fuck. Let's go. Yeah. The Reds regained the lead in the fifth when Winningham reached on a fielder's choice, stole second, scored on Paul O'Neill's drive to left center that hit the wall, barely missing Barry Bonds' glove. Drabick then went the distance but got the loss. Browning got the win, and uh, Randy Myers came in for the save. Barry Larkin stop and throw on a sharp ground ball by Barry Bonds up the middle, stopped a potential rally with none out in the ninth. 2-1 Reds win. Game 3, Monday night. Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. Another weekday afternoon game, and for the first time in history, as I previously mentioned, there were two scheduled off days between the games. This setup basically seemed to help Pittsburgh as it would allow them to have Drabic for Game 7 if they needed it. But you ain't got to worry about that. Right, right. Okay, so here you got Danny Jackson taking off Zane Smith, and correct me if I'm wrong, Danny Jackson, is that the same Danny Jackson? That 1985. We talked about yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was just getting ready to bring that up. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was a rookie in 85. Yeah. Yeah. But Mariano Duncan yeah, right. was the one who stole the show in this game. In the second, Joe Oliver. John should Daly. I call him John Daly John Jr.? Daly like, John yeah. Daly Jr. Right. Singled. Billy Hatcher. Came in with a home run that gave the Reds a two nothing lead. The Pirates would come back and tie it in the fourth with Jay Bell's double. Andy Van Slyke singled to score Bell, and then Van Slyke scored on Carmelo Martinez's double. Carmelo in the fifth, Martin. Hatcher came back, doubled, Larkin singled, and Duncan hit a three run home run to give Cincinnati a five two lead. In the bottom of the eighth inning. The Pirates got a run back when Barry Bonds singled, went to score on a walk, and then scored on Mariano Duncan's throwing error to make it 5-3. Now, did you watch any of the ALCS games, or was it just the World Series? NLCS or ALCS? Either one of them. Uh, I watched... uh, Did you watch the Reds versus Pirates? I I watched a couple, you know, just briefly. Just like highlights? I can remember most of the stuff we're talking about right now, believe it or not. It's hard to believe, I know, but um, I that was that was an exciting game. I'd forgotten game about three. Carmelo Martinez being a, a pirate. Yeah. Uh, in the ninth, the Reds got the run back when Oliver singled and Billy Bates ran for him. Uh, Bates eventually scored on a Duncan single. This would be his fourth RBI that game. That's pretty. It's pretty yeah. good numbers. Okay. Yes. The game ended with a Reds victory, six to three, allowing them to reclaim home field advantage and take a two games to one lead in the NLCS. Duncan was playing for an injured Bill Doran, I think. Oh, God, I didn't, <coughs> yeah, I didn't uh, look that far into it. Yeah. I think you're correct, though. Filled in nicely. Now, Game Four goes down on Tuesday, October 9th, nineteen ninety, at Three Rivers in Pittsburgh. This is an evening game this time. Uh, In Game 4, we would see a Game 1 rematch between Jose Rijo and Bob Walk. The Pirates would grab the first lead of the game and their only time in the series in the opening frame when Wally Backman doubled the left. Wally Backman. And scored. Underrated. Underrated. Wally Wally Backman. Backman. Uh, When Wally Backman doubled the left and scored on a Van Slyke ground out. Well, this the Reds followed up by taking the lead in the fourth when Paul O'Neill belted a shot, and Chris Sabo followed up with singles by Eric Davis and Hal Morris with a sacrifice fly. Sid Bream would then hurt Riho again as he had done in game one in the bottom half of the inning 
when he drilled a double to left center that would bring Van Slyke in to score. Sabo untied the game in the seventh inning when he golfed a hanging curveball by Bob Walk into left field stand for a two-run blast. I love me some Chris Sabo, did I? Underrated player. Kurt laughed his ass off when I pulled in because, <laughs> like, you could just you could just tell through our text message that how amped we were to to record right, this episode. Right. And I mean, I'm still hearing the EQ pop in my earbuds and my uh, yeah. headphones a little bit. I'm hoping it's just me hearing it. I'm hoping there's no quality issues because we're excited about this episode. And uh, just as soon as I got out of the van, he was over there on the tiller. Yeah, the tiller. That's all he ever man. does is fuck with that garden. <laughs> uh, and we just started talking about it. And uh, he was talking about Sabo. And I said, you might say the athletics fell victim to some sabotaging <laughs> and i thought he was gonna fucking die he laughed good. so hard that's pretty good you know where i got that from <laughs> somebody posted it in the youtube comments on one of the videos so i can't take credit for this right right, right. Uh, they oh, fell well, victim still- to some sabotaging that's funny shit yes but it is also true yes okay anyways we're not we're not quite there yet uh sabo untied the game in the seventh when he golfed a hanging curveball by walk and do the left field stands for a two-run homer. We just talked about that. With no outs in the eighth, here comes Jay Bell, and he hit a home run that knocked Riho out of the game and cut the lead down to 4-3. Pinella called on Myers to come out of the bullpen, and two batters later, Bobby Bonilla hammered another ball that hit high off center field fence and out of the reach of Billy Hatcher. As Bonilla rounded second and tried to stretch the hit into a triple, Left fielder Eric Davis ran out towards center, uh, fielded, and threw a one-hop strike to Sabo at third, gunning down Bobby Bonilla for the second out of the inning. This would uh, stop the rally and potential tying run, and you literally could just see the error going out of the Pirates as they would not score again that game. The Nasty Boys continued their dominance through the last innings as the Red offense tacked on an insurance run at the top of the ninth, making it a 5-3 game. Dibble got the save, and up until that point, had pitched in all four games, tossed five innings with no hits allowed and ten sit-down strikeouts. Impressive. Impressive. 5-3 Reds win. So now we go to game five, Wednesday, October 10th, at Three Rivers in Pittsburgh. Another evening game. The Pirates brought back their ace, Doug, to keep the season alive. Barry Larkin got the red started in the first when he doubled down the left field line and scored on Winningham's sacrifice fly to right. In the bottom of the first, red starter Tom Browning would hit Jay Bell and then surrendered a gapper to right center by Van Slyke that would hop over O'Neill's glove for an RBI triple. Bonilla walked and Bonds hit into a 3-6 force play, scoring Van Slyke to make it 2-1. In the fourth, Pittsburgh added another run when Bonds walked and went to third on an R.J. Reynolds hit. R.J. Reynolds. R.J. Reynolds. That's not another one we haven't talked about yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. He's a good, uh, good utility player. <clears throat> That's what you need. Yeah, he got that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a scored on a sacrifice fly by Don Slot. Drabeck continued into the eighth inning until Duncan singled and Larkin smashed a double that one-hopped the left field fence. 
up 3-2 going to the Knights. The Pirates were clinging, were clinging, it seemed, to slim lead and their season. O'Neill would open the frame with a single to center. Eric Davison hit a ground ball deep that ricocheted off the third base bag for a hit. Hal Morris bunted the runners over to second and third, which made Jim Leland decide on intentionally walking Sabo to load the bases. Bob Patterson relieved Drabeck and got Jeff Reed to hit into a 5-4-3 double play started by Bobby Bonita in the day. What's a 5-4-3 double play? Third to second to first. 5-4-3. That would end with a 3-2 Pirates win. So now we go to game six. Riverfront? No. Ba- yes. Yes, Riverfront. Excuse uh, me. Both of these stadiums are no longer with us, folks. No, they are not. Friday, October 12th, 1990. Another evening game, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. This game was famous for Pittsburgh manager Jim Leland starting setup man, Ted Power, in order to keep the Reds from employing their successful hitting platoon. Power pitched two in the third inning prior to giving away to lefty Zane Smith in the third inning. The strategy worked in that it held the Reds to only two runs. The game-winning RBI was hit by Luis Quinos. Quinos. Quinos, yeah. Sorry, I said Quinos. Luis Quinos of the Reds in the seventh. That close defensive game ended with a 2-1 score, accentuated by an over-the-fence catch by right fielder Glenn Braggs which would rob Carnelo Martinez of a two-run homer to preserve the win in the ninth. The Red won the series four games of two and their first pennant since 76. To date, this is the rat, the Reds' last pennant yeah, yeah. win. They've been terrible. Have they been terrible? Mm-hmm. No pitching at all. Let's, uh... I'm just thinking about that pizza. <laughs> Let's pay a bill. Let's pay a bill. We're going to shout out my other best friend. So, guys, check out JDJ Log Builders on Facebook. They've been in business for almost two decades. The owner grew up in the log home business. They build log homes from, log homes from scratch. They can build log kit homes. They do partial and complete log home refinishing, log replacement. They do some general contracting if your needs require it, like the pole barns, maybe a potential quick weekend roofing job, just depending whatever you need. But mostly it's all log home construction and refinishing. Give Jeremy a call at 1-812-827-0427. That's 1-812-827-0427. Tell them that his buddy Jared sent you guys. So check out JDJ Log Builders. See, that's nice. Look at me. Yes. He's uh, building a log home right now they in Tennyson. Do, they do uh, pole barns? They, he, he has done some pole barn work in the past. I'm not right. saying he would now. I mean, it ultimately, it's up to what his schedule right, allows, right. but he's never been opposed to anything. But he's mainly doing log home construction, log home refinishing. He's building a log home, and uh, they're building one in Tennyson right now. That's pretty cool. Just down the road right. from the Holland Tennyson exit. So, huh. I've been thinking about giving me something new here. A pole barn? Well, something else I mean, you got, you got all them millions. Oh, yeah. Sure bet. For sure. I know how we can get it. How's that? Let's take Adam Sweet's car. Yeah. So the license plate comes back to Adam. Yeah. Let's go rob an armored truck. <laughs> yeah, those guys are armed. <laughs> to I'm, the teeth. 
I'm not scared. And there's usually like three or four of them in there. Adam, I'm just kidding. We love you. Yeah. He's, he acts like he's a thug sometimes. Who? Our boss? Yeah. Well, I get him. I boss him more. He tries to act like thug. He's not call his blood. Tell him you ain't a hard gangster. That's right. Uh, uh-huh. All right, Kurt. So here we are. Yes. This is what we're here for. Yes. World Series time. Yes. But we're not ready for meat and taters yet. No. I, we got some stuff I'm to go through. I'm always ready for meat and taters. Yeah, but we got oh. some we got some oh. stuff to go through. Shout out, not your basic dad. Um, I don't know what happened. I uh, sent you a message today. I don't know if you've deleted your Twitter account or what, but it's not pulling you up. And I know you didn't block me. Uh, but, you know, you've been wanting to uh, come on. Sh- again, shout out Not Your Basic Dad on Twitter. Uh, bullshitting with Padres, his podcast. He's uh, become a huge fan of the show, a big supporter. Another guy that lives up in Richmond, a uh, good friend of the uh, After Two Beers crew. He's come out in huge support. Um, I just totally lost my train of thought why I mentioned him. There was something I was going to say. Anyways, I, I sent him a message today. Probably the melatonin. (laughs) Inside joke, man. Inside joke, not the melatonin. (laughs) I'm not telling this story on air, but there's there's Uh, some melatonin involved. That's all I'm going to say. How was that melatonin? Good. Real good. Real good. Uh, Uh, Not your basic dad. Uh, Get a hold of me somehow. Uh Damn, I don't know. Got we'll it. have you on the show. There yeah, was a reason I was segueing to that, and I I had it there, and it's gone. It's probably because he, uh, he, he comes set in with us one time. Yeah, come on in. Yeah. We're uh, hospitable. Damn, it's really bugging me because I can't remember what I was going to say now. Anyways. I can't read your mind, so. <coughs> That's a scary thing. Yeah. So, okay. Not ready for meat and taters yet. So many ways. <laughs> We got we got some stuff to get through before we get to the meat and taters. Right. Um, simmer right now. Right. Tater, right. Right. Um. So, the matchup set once again for the third straight year. A's are going to the Fall Classic. The Bash Brothers. Brothers. Um. Many people felt a title was a foregone conclusion. Oh, yeah. You know, as I'd said earlier. Um. Third meeting between these teams? Yes. Or, yes. World Series? Something like that. Second or third. I don't, or on, second. The, on the mound, uh, Oakland boasted Bob Welch with 27 wins, Dave Stewart with 20-plus, and ace relievers Eckersley. Uh, at the plate, the Bash brothers, McGuire and Conseco, combined for 26 home runs. Ricky Henderson led the American League with 65 stolen bases. Yeah, that's unheard of nowadays. Finished as a runner-up for the AL batting crown, right? He, with twenty-eight bombs and a three twenty-five average. Year. Adding to the team's aura of invincibility was the late-season acquisitions of Willis McGee, the nineteen ninety National League batting champ yep. from the St. Louis Cardinals, and Harold Baines from the Texas Rangers. Yep. Their opponents, the Reds, were no strangers to postseason play either, but this is the Reds roster was not the blueprint that was the big red machine that had ruled the NL during the 70s. I call it the little red machine. The little red machine. No player in the lineup had over 25 home runs or more than 86 runs batted in, and their top pitcher finished with only 15 wins. So, uh, as we always do before we get to meat and taters, 
we've got a bunch of things that I just want to go through. Right. Things I things I like to point out to kind of paint a picture. Right. Uh, things that I'd like to talk about that was going on that whole season prior to the World Series. So uh, the game one starter for Cincinnati was Jose Rijos, whose father-in-law was a pretty damn good pitcher himself in Juan Marichal. Juan Marichal, yeah. Marichal was employed as a scout for the Oakland Athletics at the time of this game, as well as a Spanish broadcaster for the World Series. Marichal said, of course I hope he does good. He's my son-in-law, but I want Oakland to win. They signed my paychecks. <laughs> the 1990 World Series, as mentioned earlier, Kurt, yes. this would see a rematch of the 72 World Series, which saw Oakland take the win in seven games. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, to date, neither team has ever returned to the Fall Classic. And in fact, this was the last world championship in the state of Ohio for any of the big North American four sports, NBA, NFL, NHL, Uh, Major League Baseball, since LeBron returned home to Cleveland and won an NBA title in 2016. Now, um, I have a few notes about about Major League Baseball season in general in 1990, and then we'll get to your meat and potatoes, I promise. Right on, right on. Okay. Yeah, what you got? Uh, Oakland that season had the tenth highest payroll, ballparking around twenty-one million dollars. Big money paid to big talent, maybe a reason for them getting to their third straight uh, World Series. Definitely. In contrast to this, this is what you got to love. The Cincinnati Red had MLB's fifth lowest payroll that season, <laughs> coming in at just around fourteen million dollars, which says to homegrown talent. Homegrown talent, yes. Okay. Uh, so some news about the season in 1990. In February, a lockout began. Yep. It lasted 32 days and wiped out all of spring training yep. and pushed opening day back into the second week of April. Remember that. In addition, the 1990 season had to be extended by three days in order to accommodate the normal 162-game schedule. The same outcome would also occur for the 2021-2022 season, which had the 22 22- 2022 season pushed back a week to April 7th and extended a few days by October. So we're going to go about another six weeks of uh, Major League Baseball here. Uh, In April, CBS began broadcasting Major League Baseball games. Also in April, Sunday Night Baseball would debut on ESPN. Okay. On April 20th, after retiring the first 26 Oakland Athletic Batters, Brian Holman loses a perfect grant game when Ken Phelps hits a home run and an eventual 6-1 Seattle Mariners win. I just seen that in my eyes started like what? That was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> Ghosts. Ghosts. Yeah. June 6th, Hello? 1990. <laughs> June 6th, 1990. The highest profile managerial firing of the 1990 season happens before we even reach the halfway point. The New York Yankees fire Bucky Dent Uh. before a game against their rivals at Fenway Park where he hit his famous three-run home run in a one-game playoff in 78, making Fenway Park the scene of his greatest moment as a player and his worst moment uh, As a manager. Wow, Bucky Dent. There's going to be some 70s Yankees, Dodgers, and stuff. Oh, yeah. Eventually. Be, yes. 
Uh, June 11, 1990, Nolan Ryan pitches the sixth no-hitter of his career by defeating Oakland 5-0. June of that year, it's announced that uh, Major League Baseball will be expanding to two teams for the 93 season. Also in June, for the first time in Major League history, two no-hitters are thrown on the same day, one in each league. that's crazy. Dave Stewart of the Oakland Athletics (coughs) pitches a 5-0 no-hitter against his future team, the Toronto Blue Jays, at the Sky Dome. And hours later, Kurt's homie, Dodger pitcher Fernando Valenzuela, no-hits the St. Louis Cardinals at Dodger Stadium 6-0. July 31st, Nolan Ryan of the Texas Rangers earns his 300th career win with an 11-3 ass-pounding of the Milwaukee Brewers. August 31st, 1990, Ken Griffey and his son Ken Griffey Jr. start for the Mariners in a game against the Kansas City Royals. That's pretty cool. It marks the first time a father and son have ever played a major league game game together and this is only made possible because in august of 1990 earlier a few weeks prior the cincinnati reds released ken griffey senior september 14th ken griffey and ken griffey jr hit back-to-back home runs for the mariners the top draft pick that season was chipper jones for the atlanta braves Uh, the al mvp was ricky henderson and barry bonds for the NL for the Pirates, Roy. Cy Young won by not yet, not then. Oh, sorry. Huh. Won yeah, by the right. eight, Bob it's, Welch it's and Doug Trabit. Uh, on June 9, nineteen ninety, Ron Robinson was dealt along with Bob Sebra to the Brewers in exchange for Billy Bates and Glenn Braggs. August twenty fourth, nineteen ninety, the Reds would release King Griffey Senior. May thirteenth, nineteen ninety, Willie Randolph was traded by the Dodgers to the Athletics. No, no. July or June 17, 1990, Ken Phelps was purchased by the Cleveland Indians from the Oakland Athletics. Guardians. July 15, 1990, Mike Norris is released by the Athletics. August 1st, 1990, Ron Coomer released by the Athletics. August 29, 1990, Willis McGee was traded by the Cardinals to the Athletics for Felix Jose, Stan Royer, and Daryl Green in the minors. Probably damn. Back then. Huh. Minor leaguer, yeah, Green. And uh, like I said, one last scene, one last interesting piece of note. November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine, Ricky Henderson signed as a free agent with the Oakland Athletics. He wasn't there for the previous two World Series. Okay, that's a pretty good appetizer to meet taters, dude. And look right here, why well, I got him bold and red. Meat and taters time. Meat and taters time. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm ready to take a break. Yeah, we'll take a break. Let's take a break. Let's pause. Yeah, that'd be bad. Okay, we're back. They never even knew we were magic. gone the last hour. Like magic. We played a little uh, Wifflemania. Yes. Wifflemania. Oh, yeah. And ate Papa John's. Yes. Better ingredients. Better the pizza. pizza. Papa, John's. Papa John's. Hands down, the big pizza chains. Yeah, they got it. Okay, yeah. here, here's the thing. Everybody always talks about their favorite pizza, and it's always like your local favorite pizza joint. Right. Because everybody's got that, you know, right, and, right, right. and that's true. But when you talk box, like big box chains, yep. Papa John's is my go-to. Yeah, they're pretty good. Then Pizza Hut, then Domino's. It's pretty good. I thought it was like Mr. Gaddy's. Mr. Gaddy's. That was good pizza. Anyway. Anyway, let's roll. We're, We're ready. We're fat. We're fat, yeah. Meat and taters. Meat and taters. We just had pizza and taters. <laughs> I don't know. 
Okay, game one. Tuesday, October 16th, 1990. Let me see that paper you got a second. Yep. I don't know what you're after. Oh, yeah. I'll do it. So, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio. First pitch thrown out. Does not say who threw out the first what? pitch in game one. I thought I'd seen it on there. Uh, it's game two. I don't know who threw out the first pitch in game one. I thought I had it on yeah. there. Uh, okay, well, uh, anyways, Riverfront Stadium, they estimate 55,830 people were packed into Riverfront Front Stadium. stadium yeah. The schedule called for a seven-game series held to be held Tuesday Wednesday, through Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Games five, six, and seven, however, yeah, right there it is. Dude. We're not necessary. No. First, oh, that's game two. Yeah, Monday, she's yeah. game two. Oh. <laughs> this was the first World Series. Damn, I can't talk. This was the first World Series to begin play on a Tuesday since 1984, and that lasted all the way until 2014. All World Series games between 85 and 2006, with the exception of this one, were scheduled to begin play on a Saturday, while those from 2007 through 2013 featured Wednesday starts. The whole reason I put that in there was because of the strike for a month that screwed up the schedule. So, um, Oakland Athletics pitcher Dave Stewart was sent to the mound for game one. He had a six-game postseason winning streak going, which ended after only four innings of work. He laid an egg. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so the Reds would get out of the game quickly with a two-run home run that if you watch the tape, you've seen Pat O'Brien for was sitting near the CBS television studio and nearly got hit yeah. in the face yeah. from this error. <laughs> uh, Eric Davis hit in the bottom of the first inning off the A's, Dave Stewart. Pat O'Brien would say, you think they just won the World Series the uh, way they're celebrating exactly. this right now. Exactly. I'll be honest with you, it, it kind of set the tone for the series. Well, I, I, that's what I was going to say to you. This was almost like a harbinger of things to yes, come. Like for sure, old, yeah, yeah. Because he literally was like, you think they're celebrating the yeah. World Series? And, Everybody and that was place, going, stadium nuts. was going nuts. Um, Billy Hatcher would come out, Kurt, and he helped offensively uh, in a very big way starting his clutch streak. Hitting. Clutch hitting. Seven straight hits in the series after a walk in inning number one. The Reds would add to their lead when Barry Larkin drew a leadoff walk in the third inning and then scored on double by Billy Hatcher, Billy Hatcher yep. who line. moved to third on shortstop Mike Gallegos. Gallegos throw to home plate. Yep then scored on Paul O'Neill's ground out. In the fifth inning, after a one-out double by Hatcher and an O'Neill walk-off on Todd Burns, Eric Davis' RBI single made it a 5-0 Reds lead, and after a ground out moved runners up, Chris Sabo had a two-run single that capped the inning scoring at 7-0. Oh, I love me some Chris Sabo. Okay, while all this is going on, what we failed to mention is Jose Rio's on the mound right. for the Reds, right. and he's fucking dealing. dealing. Yep. Okay. Uh, he settled in after the early lead with seven shutout innings. So, like, they're not yeah. getting nothing He going. stayed ahead in the count and he was 
keeping them off balance. He was sure. making them chase pitches. Yes, absolutely. You he go back and you watch the, the high, he was making them chase pitches. He get ahead in the count and then they would chase. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, after seven shutout innings, they would go to two of the nasty boys in the bullpen. Rob Dibble and Randy Myers pitched the eighth and nine innings in Cincinnati, cruised to a surprise win. What's most memorable about this, for me, is the Cincinnati Post-Gazette, the very next day, had the headline in the paper, Davis stuns Goliath. Yeah. Not David, Davis. Davis. Right. Because this all got started by what Eric yeah. Davis did to uh, Dave Stewart. Turned around a fastball and yeah. drilled it. Jose Rio, what I, what I put in here too, Jose Rio would set down the first three batters he faced in game one, including big, big. the other Jose for the last yeah. bat of the first inning. Nobody knew it at the time, but Jose's first inning and the other Jose's floundering and sputtering bat would be a harbinger of things to come. Yes, That's yes, exactly what I put yes, in the notes. Yes. But. Had Jose Canseco been healthy, healthy. not had the back issues, uh, it could and his bat – would yeah. this have made a difference in this World Series? I, I don't think so. I mean, it, that first it's game. It's Jose Canseco. It is Jose Canseco, Royds. You're saying I'll let that go, are you, Royds? No. But uh, Eric Davis was far more. It was a, a jolt. It was a lightning bolt out of nowhere, it seemed like. I mean, you got Dave Stewart on the mound, big deal, and he's won six straight. Six straight postseason game, victories. And he lays an egg. He walks. I mean, he's not. Yeah. I mean, he walks a bunch of hitters. What's worse than a two-out walk? I mean, there ain't nothing worse than a two-out walk. Let me see that, man. Let me. Uh, let me look at this. I'll just walks. Keep flipping back and forth here. Box score for game one. Ten hits. Red. Seven nothing. Ten hits. Cincinnati. Oakland had nine hits. Yeah. Scored zero runs. Yeah, and that that's due to bullpen activity. When the nasty boys come in. Yeah. It was done, yeah. So now... I mean, the A's are stunned right now. You know they are. Oh, exactly. So now we move to game two the very next night. Right. Great when, game. Wednesday night, October 17th, 1990, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, 55,832 and change. First pitch thrown out from First Lady Barbara, Barbara Bush. Bush. Yeah. Now, as she started to leave the field... Joe Oliver had ran up to her after he caught the pitch. He gave Joe her a Daly. peck on the cheek. Yeah, John <laughs> Daly Jr. Now, what's interesting about that is, uh, oh, sweet Lou Pinella. They yeah, call him sweet yeah, for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Pinella would run charging onto the field and give Barbara Bush a peck on the cheek yeah. as well. Well, luck, Tony LaRussa, not to be outdone <laughs> and not to be outshined, decided to charge the mound doing the very same thing. So here already... Yeah, We've a got a proverbial pissing or kissing yeah. contest yeah. between the two, which I just found that to be yeah, that's interesting, completely funny. Yeah, it's odd. Okay, now it's where they jump by a bunch of security or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, uh, the eventual because they hadn't won the Cy Young yet. Bob Bob Welch uh, would be on the mound right. opposing veteran Danny Jackson, yeah. the same 1985 yeah. World Series. Danny Jackson. Jackson. Now, Ricky Henderson would get started off uh, in the first for the A's. He uh, he got a run, uh, stole second base, yep. getting sacrificed to third by Carney Lansford, yep. 
and would score on a ground out by Jose Canseco, whose bat just was fluttering a little yes, bit. Definitely. Now, the Reds came right back at the very bottom of the first inning. Barry Larkin and Billy Hatcher hit consecutive opposite field doubles, and Hatcher would score on Davis's ground out. Billy Hatcher. Holy shit. In the third inning, Oakland would get the lead back. Yeah. Jose Canseco hit a rocket into right center field stands <laughs> to tie the game, which would become his only hit of the season. Or series, excuse me. Uh, a base hit by McGuire and two walks to Dave Henderson and Willie Randolph followed suit, and that knocked Jackson pretty much out yeah, of the game. He, Danny he, Jackson, this isn't the same great right. Danny Jackson from right. five years prior in right. his rookie year. I don't think he – I think he was on and off the DL that year, too. It wasn't – he wasn't 100%. Now, I don't have I don't have regular season statistics. I can always pull them up on my phone. Right. But just to look and see what Danny Jackson did in the World Series it itself. Appearance. And it wasn't a good one. Yeah, throw me an extra page in there. Yeah, his... Uh, he was all over the place. He had a 10.13 yeah. ERA. So Walks, and uh, when he did throw a strike, was hit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not very good. Right. Not very good at all. Um, but. But the bases were loaded at this point. Ron Hasey. Hasey. Uh-huh. Hasey, excuse me. Ron Hasey hit a sacrifice fly off Scott Scudder yeah. to score McGuire and Mike Gallagher. Or Gallego. Gallego. Where the fuck did I get Gallagher? Mike Gallego <laughs> singled to center off Scudder. That would score Henderson. Oakland takes a 4-2 lead. Yeah. Okay. Momentum shifted a little like bit. A's, hey, maybe. this is this is the yeah. A's team. This is this right. is what they do. I'll let you borrow the phrase for now. The Athletics were doing athletic, athletic things. things, yes. But they didn't. But they did. Because they would not score any more runs that night, thanks to the relief pitching of Scudder. All-star game starter Jack Armstrong and the threesome, the Nasty Boys, Dibble, yeah. Charlton, and Myers. The Reds got a run closer at a 4-3 on pinch hitter Ron Oyster's RBI single that would drive in Joe Oliver in the fourth inning. Incidentally, this would be the last plate appearance of Oyster's career, wow. all 13 seasons which he had spent with the Reds. With the Reds. Uh, sidebar, I got a, a used to have a glove autograph by Ron Oyster. Really? Yeah. I'll uh, be I, damned. I, I, I can't find it, though. I, I went to Riverfront Stadium. He, he was like a rookie that year. I watched the Padres and the Reds played. Uh, I'm trying to think of who'd been on some of the team. Dave Cowan. Uh, I can't remember who all have been there, but it's pretty How cool. How old were you? Uh, eight, nine, probably. Yeah, probably eight. Might or have nine. been, oh. Uh, I can't remember who the. The Hit King? Pete Rose? Yeah. Uh, he, no, he, went, he went there, I don't think. I think he was in Philadelphia that, at the time. He done went to Philadelphia. See, so it had been 1980. It had okay. been the 80s. Yeah, well, yeah, he was done going. Anyway, I just figured I'd bring that up. Ron Oster, uh, autograph with him. Well, that's pretty cool. That is cool. He wasn't a great player by any means, but he was 13 years in the majors. That's all right, cool. All right. No, I like hey, bonus content. Right, right, right. I don't hear the mics popping right now. I don't either. Weird. Weird. Okay, the Reds would tie it up in the eighth inning when Billy Hatcher huh? tripled over the crippled 
Jose Canseco. Now, why we say crippled? About him in the head. If you go back and watch the replay of this, if he's healthy, he makes the catch. He makes the catch. Yeah. He, not even fucking close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hammy or something. Canseco had his back. back. His back right. had been bothering right. him yeah. really, really bad. Of course, if you swing as hard as what Jose yeah. Canseco was, he didn't get cheated up there. Yeah. So. Roids. <laughs> that's probably right. Uh, anyways, uh, Hatcher tripled over Canseco, scored on pinch hitter Glenn Bragg's yeah. force play. Yeah. After which, beforehand, I should say, O'Neill had been walked to set right. this up. Welch would be charged with all four runs in the seventh and third inning, and then Rick Honeycutt was charged with a blown save after allowing Hatcher to score. Now, something I I put in here during Game Two, Reds pitcher Tom Browning. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. See we, we, what I'm about to tell you now is we sort yeah. of dealt with something similar well, to this in I, our '85 World Series with Brad Saberhagen yeah, yeah. and the Royals. Uh, anyways, uh, Browning left during the middle of the game. Yeah. I mean, left. They, they, yeah, they announced it, didn't they? Oh, yeah. So, so here, so, uh, here shortly battle. before, like, the fifth or sixth inning or somewhere in the fourth, he did the battle. Um, somebody gets word to, uh, Joe Oliver or, uh, somebody. One, one of, no, Marty, one Oliver. Marty Brennan. Marty, some, Tom Brennan. No, no, no. One of the teammates. Oh, okay. Uh, it wasn't it Oliver. W- it was it was a it was a uh, a relief guy. You know, a, a second stringer. Right, right. A pinch hitter. Can't remember who. I don't remember who it is. I I've, I seen it on the game film a right. couple weeks ago. Anyways, he gets word to Brownie like, "Hey, uh, you gotta, you know, come down here and get the car out. Your wife's getting ready to go to the right, hospital." Right, right. And he's like, I can't leave. Yeah. Well, she's she's going to drive herself to the hospital. She's having the baby. You need to go move the car for her. She can't do it. And he's like, well, I, I, I ain't going to let my pregnant <laughs> wife drive to the right. so So he gets in the car with her and goes to the hospital because they're getting ready to have their third child, right. baby boy. Right. Okay? So he just leaves. <laughs> does not tell anybody. Right. And the person that told him. Didn't think to tell anybody either because he just assumed that right. Browning would tell people. Right. So they're getting deep into this game. It's going extra innings, and they're looking for Tom Browning. Lou Pinella, yeah, calls the bullpen and says, "Get Browning down here." He's they look around him. the bullpen. <laughs> uh, Lou. Uh. <laughs> uh, hello. Hey guys, <laughs> sweet Lou here. Yeah. Can you guys send me Tom Browning, please? Uh, sure. Hey, guys, get Tom Brown. Uh, what the hell? Uh, Lou? He's not here. What do you fucking mean he's That's not exactly here. what he said, too. <laughs> I just, <yeah. laughs> that is exactly what he said. They, 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 the rumor mill churned. Pinella's exact words. Pinella's usually yeah. a calmer guy. Right, right. But I, I guess the rumor mill churned. Pinella's exact. What the fuck you mean he's not, not there? <laughs> this is a major league. It's the World Series. This is a major. How's somebody just going to let him leave the stadium? Bob voice. You can hear it now, oh, right? Oh, God. Yeah. So they find out through Rigor Moreau and Hocus Pocus that Browning was at the hospital right. with his wife about ready to give birth. Still dressed in his gear, yep. still has his cleats on. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. They had their radio broadcaster, Marty Brennan, put out 
that they needed him to return to the stadium yeah. to, you know, help pitch. Well, he wasn't in the car, which is why they had Brennett put it out there. Right, right. He was at the hospital Bill. watching on TV. It was a Reds play-by-play announcer at yeah. the time, yes. So Tim McCarver picked it up and put it out across CBS, who passed it along in the 10th inning. Tom Browning would later say that he was hoping and praying that they hold on, didn't need him, or somebody would hit a home run and end the game. Right. Because he wasn't going to miss the birth right. of his son. Right. You know, he could lose his job. Right. right. Which eventually, in the 10th inning, you know, the, the game. By an unlikely the, hero. Well, yeah. So um, the Reds broke through to win the game off A's closer, Dennis Eckerdley. Two unlikely heroes. Yeah, utility men Billy Bates chopped an infield single off home plate to re- to start the inning, and then Sabo singled to left to put runners on first and second. John Daly Jr. <laughs> Joe, Oliver, Joe Oliver. Joe Oliver would hit a bouncer that hopped over third base yep. down the left field line. And pandemonium to drive Bates in in the walk off, and pandemonium mm. explodes. So here's another punch in the A's face. Right. There's been two different style games here, and he both. Lost it both of them. So. Yes. This would the last of five World Series games to be played at Riverfront Stadium. 70, 72, 75, 76, and 90, which was closed and demolished uh, 22 years ago, right, yep. uh, 2002. Uh, as of 2022, where the Reds play now, the Great American Ballpark, yeah. has yet to host the World Series. I don't, even think, I don't think they've had a playoff game there, have they? Oh, they've surely been, to God they've been had to have bad, something. They've been bad for a while. No pitching. Uh, so the score for the box score for game two goes down a five-four Reds win in ten innings. But now the bats look better for both sides of right. the ball here, uh, ma'am. Kind of. Kind of. Cincinnati was four was uh, five runs off fourteen hits. Oakland hit uh, scored four runs off of ten hits. Both teams committed multiple errors yeah, in this yeah, game. Yeah. Okay. They had a little bit of everything. Yeah. Now, um, let me go here. So game now we fly th- west. Well, yeah. So so now we're going back to uh, Oakland Coliseum. Yeah, Alameda County Coliseum. Yeah. You know, O.Co. Uh, before we get there, though. Yeah. I wa- I wanted to put I wanted to put something in my notes. So, uh, like I said, I redid half a lot of the uh, notes uh. today. So I have some stuff that's in here originally. I have new stuff. Billy Hatcher, I put this in today. I redid the notes here on this part. Um, Billy Hatcher would set a seven-hit record for the first two World Series games. Yeah. Okay? Something to note here, in the eighth inning, Tony LaRusso would bring in the left-hander Rick Honeycutt to face the right-handed batter who was a pinch hitter that had trouble against lefties in Glenn Braggs for Cincinnati. So, So let me say this again. Rick Honeycutt, right, a lefty. Yeah. Glenn Braggs does is predominantly a right-handed batter, who has trouble against lefties. So we've already got chess going. Right, right. Start which right. is, there's always game plans, but this you're really starting to see the chess. Sometimes you got to do things on the fly. So now we go back to game three. We return. To the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, O.Co. in Oakland, California, Friday, October 9th, 1990. 
So the World Series returned to the Bay Area for Game 3. A year ago, prior to Game 3 of the 89 World Series in Oakland, or maybe it was Game 2, either one. Um, earthquake. Earthquake happened, yeah. So prior to the start of the game, they had a moment of silence for the lives right. that were lost and affected by the right. tragedy. Do you know who threw out the Game 3 pitch? Dumbest thing I've ever seen. Coolest, uh, but dumbest. Uh, no, I do not. So they had Dave Stewart come out and throw out the first pitch. Oh, okay. Why? Yeah, because know. he was such a humanitarian and was involved so much in the recovery and rescue efforts. It's hard to believe with the look on his face on the mound. For the city of uh, Oakland, right. the Bay Area. Yeah. Can you believe that? That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, just... Uh, okay. I was just thinking... Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart. Um, mean, mean mugging everybody. Mean mugging everybody. Yes. But now, before we get started with that, because we're just talking about the return. Yes. I, do, I know, you just look at me like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, uh, I seen somebody. I seen somebody? Yeah. In his own shirt. What, door? No. This has been a very squirrel-based episode. Shut up. Xbox. Call me. Guys, check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, they're a veteran-owned company. I mean, of course, they're they're mainstream now, but Kurt and I promote anything that's veteran-owned. Oh, yeah. Uh, check them out on Facebook. Check them out on their website and everything. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Great coffee. Energy drinks that my diabetic ass don't need, but I like. Uh, they got cool hats and t-shirts and all kinds of swag gear and everything. So check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. I'm not crazy, Kurt. No, I believe you. I mean, they got me looking over my shoulder and shit. Are you sure that door never opens? I'm sure. They wouldn't be able to get to it because that front screen door is locked. I saw somebody stand. What the fuck? Did Mel- they lay melatonin. something in that pizza before they brought it to melatonin. us? Melatonin. <laughs> melatonin <laughs> joke inside joke that's weird though we are fucking so far off track what did fan do while ago it I moved. see ghost it moved alright pay the bill okay we paid a bill see now you're looking well now it almost feels like someone's watching me Get out of this house. You're not welcome here. Uh, unless you're Casper. And then do some cool shit for us. I command you to show yourself. Kurt's like, if this fucking door opens, I am out. <laughs> we gotta get, we've done lost every listener tonight. Well, that's weird, though. I swear I've seen something. Well, yeah, the look on your face. It was like you've seen something. Hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. Maybe he's sitting in on the podcast listening. Game three. <laughs> yeah. Whew. I swear to God, if I go outside and see somebody with an orange shirt, I'm telling you they were in there. All right. Okay. Okay. Focus. Game three, the Reds took a 3-0 series lead on the defending champions. Tom Browning, two days after becoming a starter, Kurt. Yep. Uh, up against Mike Moore. 
two good two days after becoming a father. A father? Did I say starter? starter yeah. I'm so. No. <laughs> <laughs> what was that noise? Did you hear that? Yeah. What the? Casper. Everybody listening to this episode thinks I'm probably higher than dog piss. I'm not that. I'm, I'm not. I'm just that stupid. <laughs> Boulder, what, Scobie? I've never watched X Files. That's pretty good shit. I like it. Pretty good shit. Yeah, I like it. pretty good content. Threw man. shit on the field, literally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because Bobby Knight literally shit on a court one time. He did practice. not. Yes, you he hold did. your tongue. West Point. Look it up in the season on the brink. He said, "If you guys want to play like shit, you can play in it." And he'd drop his drawers of shit on the center circle at West Point. Look it up. Yeah, we don't have coaches like that anymore these days. That's what you need. You need a coach in there that's going to drive hard, that's yes. going to coach hard. Yes. If you guys want to play like shit, you might as well play in it. You'd get fired and fucking sent to jail nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I miss the 80s and the I 90s. I, wasn't, I was born in 87, so I'm, I'm a child of the 90s. I miss the I, 90s. But you wouldn't think it, though, from the shit you know about the 80s, the 70s. And the 60s. And the 60s. That's pretty cool. Right. I've been on a Jimmy Hoffa kick lately. I've been thinking about doing a podcast about Jimmy Hoffa. Lake Mead somewhere. I don't think Hoffa's in the lake. You think he's in Giant Stadium? No, he ain't Giant Stadium. Where's he at? Why the fuck would they take him to Giant Stadium? He's on. He's in the freaking concrete on the, the floor. Is what I heard. They crushed him in a car, put him on a container ship, and he got sent to China. He was already done. Huh. I done stirred the pot here. We went from talking about World Series to Hoffa. Well, as we present to you next time on the very next episode uh, of Steel Toes and Scoreboards, where the hell no, is Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa? Hoffa. <laughs> You're yeah. actually looking at me like yeah. I, will, I will do a Hoffa I would, episode. I will do a Hoffa episode. Okay, yeah. that's our next episode next week. Hoffa. We gotta get a hold of a mob boss or something. You know, I'll see if I can contact some yeah. people. I put on Facebook the other day, I do know where Jimmy Hoffa's buried. It's, oh, yeah? I will release this information for the sum of $150 million or a trip to Red Lobster and a lifetime supply of Big Red Soda. I bet I bet somebody take you up on that. Lifetime Maybe? supply of Big Red Soda and a trip to Red Lobster or $150 million. <laughs> wow. Now, see, what is that? That's a noose right there. It is a It's a little hanging voodoo duck. Man, I'm telling you what, this place is creeping me out tonight. A lot of energy. I apologize, folks. This is going to be our best episode. We are just drag-assing right now. Oh, we're all right. Can we get back to the World Series? Yes, Game 3. Game 3. Tom Browning. Mike versus Mike Moore. Yes. Mike Moore had two wins in a 1989 World Series alongside Dave Stewart. In the second inning, Chris Sabo put the Reds up with a 1-0 solo home run. The lead was short-lived, though, as defensive hitter Harold Baines oh, hit a soaring two-run homer. Crushed one, dude. It was cool. after a Dave Henderson double to give the A's a 2-1 lead yes. in the bottom of the second inning. A's fans breed you uh, rejuvenated. In the third inning, the Reds' seven-run inning began with <sighs> Billy Hatcher's eighth hit Who? and nine at-bat. Billy Who? Hatcher. Who's that? Billy Hatcher. <laughs> If you don't know, you damn sure going to learn today. Yeah. Billy Hatcher, he hit into a double play in the first inning, ending his streak of yeah. seven straight hits. So, you know what? Yeah. He'll just start yeah. another one. <laughs> Paul O'Neill then singled off the glove of first baseman Mark, not steroids yet, McGuire, McGuire, to put a runner on first and second. 
Eric Davis come up to the plate and he drilled, and I mean drilled, a sharp single to center, yeah. which scored Hatcher to tie the game, advancing Paul O'Neill to third base. Yes. Following an RBI ground out by Hal Morris that would put Cincinnati ahead, the Reds went up 5-2 when Chris Sabo hit his second home yep. run of the game deep into left field. Crushed him. Todd Benzinger, yep. the Reds' DH. Single at the middle. Yeah, but I want to point this out. Okay. Todd Benzinger, the Reds' DH, even though the game was in an American League stadium, then singled. And Joe Oliver hit an RBI deal. Tell me how you feel about uh, DHs. I don't much care for it. Why? Well, if your pencil, if your pitcher's penciled in the lineup, he has this one to bat. Pitcher's bat. Yeah, yeah. In the American League, right? They don't bat. You can. You, you can. Have the you option, can. Yeah. Right. Right. But most go with DH. Yeah. You don't see that shit in the National League. No. I, I just don't like it. I, don't know. I still don't like it. You still don't like it? No. Nope. No? Well, what can a pitcher fucking hit, you know? At least. Oh. Hold on, man. Make Kurt. contact. Make somebody feel it. Sorry, Kurt. Had that a text. Think Dave Stewart had to bat in game one. And yeah. I guess he was a terrible batter. It looked like it was. Like he was. He was terrible. Okay. Uh... Mariano Duncan would drive Oliver in with a single, stole second, and scored himself when Barry Larkin hit a gapper. Little red the machine. A's now trailed the Reds eight to two. Yeah, yeah. place was quiet, man. Yeah, holy shit. And okay, Ricky Henderson's third inning home run had made it eight to three. So we're only in two innings right. in this game when right. all this sh- shit explodes. Yeah, this game is an hour and a half long already. You know. Yeah. Tom Browning pitched effectively for six innings to give himself the victory. He settled down, yeah, after the Baines home run. Dibblin Myers provided three scoreless innings in relief to put the Reds one win away from the title. Let's, uh... Chris Sabo, though. Yeah, I wanted to, uh... Yeah. That, you know, and that stadium was not a hitter's park, really. No, no, not at all. All kinds of room and foul ground. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying it was just not a hitter's park. I mean, more of a pitcher's park. But Chris Sabo turned two fastballs around. And Mike Moore. Here we go. Hold that Mike Moore thought. Shout out Major League Baseball. We do not own this content. Came back to win it. 9 of 18 since 54. Well hit ball by Sabo carrying to the track to the wall and Cincinnati leads it 1 to nothing. Sabo has a lot of rage fans there. Yeah. There is. He's coming around the bases. Luke Pinello. Oh, sweet Luke. Bruce is like, who the fuck's this? Yeah. Now it should show the other one because that was a two run, two home run game. Yeah. Yeah. Corks. Yeah. 
Sanders Grumman. Makes it five to two. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah. I, I find it ironic that Joe Buck is Jack Buck. Jack, Jack Buck. Buck. It was Joe's dad. Yeah. Jack Buck says he corks another one. It wasn't long after that. The next year, I think that Sabo was involved in a corking the of the bat. The corking scandal. Yeah. How ironic is that, huh? That is kind of funny. Yeah. All right. Okay. So. Um, I want to play a little bit more audio here, if you'll let me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if I don't want to play the entire inning. That would take too long. Yeah. But I wonder if uh, I'm surprised Larusa went that long with Moore. To be honest with you. You think? Why is that? I, well, I mean, he was struggling. He was, couldn't find a plate. He, when he did find a plate, it was belted somewhere. He definitely did not have his stuff. No, he didn't. And the year before, he was like one of the strikeout leaders. I just heard something back here. <laughs> did you hear something? Yeah. I'm telling you, your house is haunted. All right, now if you're going to let me do this, I've got highlights here I'm going to play. All the rights belong to Major League Baseball and all the proper copyright and property owners. Uh, it's only about a two-minute clip. Yeah, go for it. It's basically highlights of this entire uh, third inning where they score, you know, seven or whatever. And totally. Because to me, this was a very integral part, this inning of this entire World Series. Oh, yeah, for sure. So if it's all right with you, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this. And it's also nice for us. I mean, it was basically play. the nail in the coffin. Basically. Yeah. You want to watch it with me? Yeah. So our listeners can hear. We do not own this content. He starts another streak. Billy Hatcher starts another streak. A one-on single. Davis single to right his first time. First and third one out. Shot to center. Yeah, he that drops. We're tied, and O'Neill heads for third. The throw by Dave Anderson. Not a good throw. Not a good throw. Why? Bad throw. Bad throw. He should have threw it to second. Yeah. I love how Morris. I do too. And he hits it to first, and the run scores without a play, and the Reds regain the lead, three-two. Morris with an infield out drives home the third Cincinnati run as O'Neill scored, and Eric Davis went to third. Sabo hit one over. There's your boy Sabo. Oh yeah, dude. He is five out Money. Of nine. Six out of ten. Drilled it. Yeah, he did. But not far enough. Another home run for Sabo, and it is five to two. Wow. A two-out home run makes it five to two. Benzie, not happy. Now he's six out of Rip. ten, and there's another hit. This one by Benzie, yeah. his first in the series. Four hits in the inning. Look at LaRusso. Yeah, I know. I know. He's dejected as shit. That's why I can't. They probably get Sanderson in there for more. Joe. <laughs> that just barely went fairly yeah, through. Yeah, that's good. Mariano Duncan. 
it's seven to two, and that run charge to Sanderson. Wow. John Daly Jr. Yep. Larkin hits one in the gap, and that won't be caught. Barry Larkin in the boys. Larkin second hit. He's going for third with two out. And he is safe, and these Reds are pounding that ball. The hit for the cycle right in as a team. Yeah, I, I think. Okay. So the floodgates open. The floodgates open. Yeah. So here we are. We're game three. You're back home. You need a total reset to things go your way. Yes. And in inning two or three, whatever, the whole game breaks way. And once again, the entire wheels come off. Yeah. And you've got to be thinking. All four of them. Tony LaRusa has got to be sitting there thinking, if I could break. Who the fuck is Chris Sabo? That's what he's thinking. <laughs> and Billy Hatcher. <laughs> so, right? right? Yeah. I mean. Uh, the Reds, the A's now trailed the Reds 8-2 to two because Henderson had a a home run, a solo shot that made it 8-3. Right. But Tom Browning pitched six innings to earn the victory. Dibble and Myers provided three scoreless innings in relief to put the Reds one win away from the title. So, so here we go. So I told you that I was so excited right, about right, this right. about this show for the notes and everything. Right. It's because of this game three, this inning, and, and the entire everything to follow. So I'm asking you, what is going through the minds of the Oakland Athletics after game three? Who are these guys? I mean, and what's going on with us? We know Jose's not 100%. But we still have McGuire, Dave Henderson, Ricky, Ricky Henderson, Henderson uh, Dave Stewart. You know, I mean. Okay. This is where I put my joke that I stole from the YouTube comments. You could say there was some sabotaging <laughs> in this game. You know why I say that? Why is that? You like fun facts? Oh, yeah. You love deep sluts? I mean, deep I, stats, oh, yeah, good yeah, research. Yeah, yeah. Sabo fielded 10 straight plays without an error, tying Pinky Higgins World Series record for a third baseman. Uh, he was he was money with the glove too. He made some damn good plays. Yeah, that's impressive. Obviously, on paper, on paper the Reds were not uh -huh. the team to beat. Uh, yeah, the Reds were this. We were going to walk all over these little fellas right. and send them right. send their asses four right five, back to Ohio. Uh, four or five, and we're there down. It, yeah. it did not happen. Right. The athletics, obviously, wind had been let out of their sails, right? Oh, yeah. Ricky Henderson had a game three, post-game three press conference or interview. Ricky said, must be their year or something, huh? Must be their year and ain't nobody told us yet. I didn't believe Bonds in Pittsburgh when they said since he catches all the breaks, but I guess they're catching all the breaks right now, huh? Uh, I didn't see any breaks. Did you see any breaks in any of the games? Hey, though, that is what... Well, Ricky said. That sounds like a... That's Ricky Henderson. Yeah, but uh, he's wrong, man. I mean, they, you know, they had great at-bats throughout the series. Very patient. They made the pitcher come to them. I like Lou's aggressive style. I mean, they ran quite a bit, too. They were a running team. They had for a little power. Yeah. Uh, there was no breaks, I don't think. Uh, Ricky, wrong. Ricky, wrong. Yeah, I don't know where he's coming from there. I mean, and if anything, Oakland made their own breaks. So. I really want to find this clip. 
And if what you what what you seen? Do you think they Cincinnati caught any breaks? I don't think. I, I don't either. I don't. There wasn't no umpiring. I, I do. I wonder if he's talking about umpiring because I've seen him grumble quite a bit in three out of the four games. Ricky Henderson was really grumbling some on balls and strikes, but I don't think that's that's not what ultimately cost him. They were too confident. Maybe. Could have been. Looking looking past him, I don't know. Yeah. I was trying to find a, a clip of Mark McGuire's post comp uh, post game press conference and I can't find it on YouTube. Do you remember what he had to say? Uh ballpark, uh McGuire's post game interview was, was even worse than Ricky Henderson's. As you could tell you could literally read his body language, see it in his face. All McGuire wanted during that interview in game after game three was to get the fuck okay, away yeah. from Alameda County Stadium. Right, right. Like he wanted as far away from the stadium as possible. He wanted to go home and put his fist through something, uh, suck the bottom of a bottle of Jack down, something. Like right. he was completely upset. He didn't know what to say. He tried in his best Peyton Manning like. Peyton interview because Peyton would never throw daggers at anybody in an interview. He tried to give the professional answers and this, and you could tell he was doing it all through gritting teeth and biting tongues. So now, 3 0, you're down 3 0. Oakland down 3 0. And they're in territory that they are not familiar with. Right, right. Yep, you They're know, the deep end of the pool now, right? Take you know. whatever happened in the '88 World Series against LA out of the right, question. Right. Go back and look at what they did the the last year, the '89 World right. Series with the Giants. Right. Okay, they are not looking like that team right now. No. I mean, this is supposed to be a dynasty, Kurt. Yes, I know. So changes had to be made for Oakland, and they had to be made now. And prior to the start of Game Four. That's exactly what skipper Tony LaRussa did. So, um, let's see here. Game one, game three. These are the box stores, yeah, right? Yeah. So, the very next night, game four. Now, the first pitch is thrown out by Joe Rudy, huh. a former. A's right, World Series right, champion right. from them 70s teams. Pitcher? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. So, Friday, October 19th, 1990. Oh, wait. Nope. Sorry. Wrong date. <laughs> Game four, Saturday, October 20th, 1990. The changes made by La Russa, I'm sure it cost some people to scratch their heads. Because what he did was he... He benched Jose Canseco right. and Terry Steinbach. Right. Who did he put in their place? Do you remember? Uh, Willie McGee for Willie Canseco McGee. and Jamie Quirk. Quirk for, yeah. So Quirk was in at catcher. Right. They had three catchers on that team. Quirk, Quirk was in at catcher. McGee would be, what was Canseco doing? Center field or right field? He was in right, right field. Right field. So. Okay. So, but what do you do? I mean, you, you have to do it because... Jose's back's messed up. Yep. He couldn't swing as well as he had been before. And Terry Steinbach's head wasn't in. I don't know. And, and just, Terry Steinbach did not have his head he in this missing, world missing, Pass ball. He was everything. non-existent. Yeah. 
He was non-existent in, 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 in every aspect possible. So, I mean, Jose made a good, like, one or two good bats in the entire postseason, right. but pretty much nothing. Uh, he failed to record easy outs. He failed to do home run robs like he'd done in the past where right. he would wall leap, right. <coughs> rob a guy of their home run. So, in theory, this might have been head-scratching for fans, but it had to be the right call, right? Right. right. Benching well, these guys had to be the right call, right? I think so, yeah. And as game four progressed, sure as hell looked that way. Yeah. So on the mound, uh, game one. Game four is game one match. The same. Or match game four, it's it's game one rematch. Right. Dave Stewart, Jose, Jose Rio. Rio. Okay. And here's where uh, things get good, and we're probably we might potentially be playing a lot of audio here right despite a 3-0 series lead is that luck despite a 3-0 series lead the reds advantage became uh non-existent immediately right, right. within the first within the the top and bottom of the first inning as two of their cornerstones in their lineups eric davis and billy, billy hatcher both go down to injury yeah billy got hit by right pitch. away Right. Yeah, so Hatcher was hit on the hand by a pitch in the first yeah. inning. Intentional? No, I don't think I don't think Dave Stewart's that kind of guy. Dave Stewart reminds me of a pit bull. Like he gets yeah. in there and he hangs right. on. But or, I don't think he's malicious. I, think, I don't think he beamed him. No, it was O two count. If he's gonna bean him, you bean him early. Not O two to count, right? It's gonna be a long episode because we're gonna start we're gonna start playing audio clips of everything. We're gonna we're gonna give you guys exclusive content. You're gonna really take a look at things. Or listen to things. So, let's see uh, Billy Hatcher injury. I mean, I don't think it was intentional. O2, he's trying to move him off the plate a little bit. Billy Hatcher liked his crowd to play a little bit. Setting him up for something away, probably. Probably. And he got away from him. Okay, so... I can't find it, dang it. I was wanting to, uh, Billy Hatcher injury World Series. It might not be on there, Kurt. Maybe not. I guarantee you Eric Davis probably was. No, I don't see it right now. Anyway, he gets hit on the hand. Okay, yeah. So uh, we'll just we'll just His go ahead. I mean, we're gonna play a lot of audio tonight because this this game four notes are important. Billy Hatcher stayed in the game. So well, don't don't okay. put the cart before the horse. Okay. Don't put the cart before the horse. I'm proud of this. Don't put the All cart. Right, right on. So he was taken to the hospital for X-rays, but was found to only have a severe bruise, which likely would have put him in day-to-day status. Right. But still, he probably would have missed game five and potentially game six of the series had it went that far. Uh, Eric Davis, on the other hand, his injury was way worse. Yeah. Uh, and would have been series ending and probably half a season ending. Chasing a fly ball, he would fall hard on his elbow and it jammed into his side as he sustained a rib cage injury and a laceration to his kidney. Yeah. Now, he was taken to the hospital. Right. Unlike Hatcher, however, uh, he never came back to the ballpark that night. Right. In fact, 
he remained hospitalized in Oakland for like another week, week and a half. Right, right. Leading to a public relations nightmare because then, for whatever reason, she was being some sort of a psychotic bitch, pardon the language, <laughs> uh, Red's owner Mark Schott made him charter his own medically yeah. equipped flight out of Oakland back to Cincinnati. That's like, up. how fucked up That's is that? That's fucked up. Okay. Now, something I want to make note of here as Kurt beat me to it is the toughness of both these guys. Hatcher stayed in the game as a runner to finish out the top of the first inning after his oh, hand being drilled. drilled with, you know, 90, 100 plus oh, mile yeah. hour ball. They threw it too hard. Oh, yeah. Davis stayed in the game to finish the bottom of the first. How and in that much pain, I don't know. A lacerated kidney. Okay. Knowing what we later found out, wow. In yeah, wow. Well. 2022, that wouldn't happen like it did 32 years ago. They, right. There wouldn't have been you staying in the right, game to right, finish that inning. Right. No matter if that inning was over in one pitch or if it lasted another 20 pitches, you're not staying in that game in 2022. I mean, it, it tells me that there was a love for the game. Okay. Oh, exactly. It. What's the contracts missing? wasn't out of control right, back then. Right, it wasn't about right, the money. Right. This was about, I want to be the best. It's the love of the game. Love of the game, well. No fucking money had nothing to do with this at this point. 33 the, years later? Yeah. I can't no. Say that. No. Now, I, I want you to think about this. Hatcher going down caused the Reds to lose a hot batter. Yes. Hatcher had went 9 for 12 in this World Series so far, Kurt. Okay. Hatcher going nine for twelve equates to a seven fifty batting average. Uh, that broke a record set by Babe Ruth, <laughs> yeah. which stood for sixty two yeah. years. Little Billy Hatcher. Little bitty Billy Hatcher that nobody ever talks about. Right, right. <laughs> nine for twelve in a World Series, seven fifty average broke a sixty two year record by Babe Ruth. So. Wow. Essentially, by Tony LaRusse's own hand, before the game even started, the Oakland Athletics lost their power yeah. with the bats. Yeah. And in both halves of the first inning, the Reds lost their, plug. their power. Yeah, their little spark plug and their power, yeah. So now it would appear to me... Like, we've got a more level playing field. Right. And it looks like, and LaRusse's lineup changes prior to the game, they're starting to look better and better every time now. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, the A's would get on board in the first inning when Willie McGee doubled and Carney Lansford would single him in. The game would remain 1-0 Oakland until the eighth inning. Yeah. When the fucking wheels <laughs> come yeah. off, yep. and they finally get to Dave Stewart, yep. and that's where we leave you because I got to take a pee. All right. They never knew we were gone. gone. That was a fun little hour and a half break. Yeah. Okay, so the game remained tied one zero until the eighth inning when the Reds finally got to Stewart. But before we get to that. I got a couple other things I want to put in here. All right. Glenn Braggs. Yeah. He replaced Davis in the game. His first plate appearance, you could tell that this dude was like so jacked. Chomping at the bit. Adrenaline pumping, yeah. chomping at the bit. I watched this. 
I put this in here. I'm talking this, and I'm reading it. This dude swung so hard and missed on a called strike from Dave Stewart that the bat came back around and broke, broke across yeah. his back this and is a big, shot it out. He's a big man. Braggs? Yeah. Oh, he's a big, he's a big dude. Yeah. The crowd, both the home A's fans and the visiting traveling Reds fans, lit up the stadium when yeah. this bat broke. Like, they were all excited. Like... Could this be an upcoming omen of how pumped this Reds team right. was? Well, I got something else for you. Right on. Some interesting and nail-biting things occurred at the top of the sixth inning with Dave Stewart on the mound. Okay? So we're okay. in the sixth inning. And uh, I was just in disbelief when I watched this. I had to come in and put this right in my notes. I just put this in here today. It wasn't in the original notes from a month ago. So Stewart, Dave Stewart on the mound, he's dealing. We're in the sixth inning. Okay? He would walk Barry Larkin to put him on first base. So then Herm Winningham comes right. up. Uh-huh. Winningham replaced Billy Hatcher. Hatcher. Right. Okay? Good replacement. Right. Uh, Winningham would smash one into center field. Which Henderson could not hold on to. He dropped it. Well, that would send Larkin racing from first to third. Put Winningham on first with no outs. So here you got a man on each corner. No right, outs. Right. Top tough, of the sixth inning. Tough spot. Yeah. Tough spot. Tough spot. Now, Stewart's been a 20-plus game winner for four seasons in a row. They're in their third straight World Series. I doubt he's got any jitters. Right. Man's yeah. got ice water in right. his veins. Right. Okay. Well, that's going to change. <laughs> Paul O'Neill comes up next. He popped out the shortstop to give them one out with both men still in the corners, which sent Glenn Braggs back to the plate, Kurt. Right. Okay. Stewart would then walk Glenn Braggs. To load him up. To load him up. Now, ice water in your veins or not, you need a double when you're ball. down 0-3 yeah. in a world like, okay, now this make me a little nervous. Okay, well, D.H. Hal Morris would come up to the plate. He drove one into the infield, causing Oakland to pounce and record the double play to get Stewart out of the bases loaded, get Stewart out of the jam, and go into the bottom of the sixth inning, still maintaining their 1-0 lead. Okay. Okay. Dance around danger there, yeah. Dance around danger. So, I'm going to play something for you because now we are going to jump to the top of the eighth inning. I'm going to play something and then uh, we will start to go through the eighth inning. I'm going to play some uh, original audio here. Uh, Well, shit, I just had it turned up a second ago, Kurt. One second... I was just looking at it a minute ago. Huh. It knows you wanted to. Okay. Yeah, up, up, up. Nope. That's saved. I guarantee you. One second. Just just one second, Kurt. It knows you want to play it. That's why I did it. I know. Well, I mean, I literally just was looking at it when we were taking our break. Now, before I play this, we're jumping to the eighth inning. This is when things completely change. And I'm going to play uh, about a minute and a half clip from the eighth inning. Okay. 
as the top of the eighth inning began, overzealous, and I and I mean seriously overzealous, they were happy-go-lucky. Oakland Athletics fans had sent some balloons onto the field, <laughs> green and yellow, right. Oakland Athletic right. cover colors. Okay. Right. Dave Stewart popped just off the back of the mound to stomp on a balloon and pop it, putting it in his pocket. Yeah. The only reason I bring this up to you is because when I seen this, um, I had to put it in there because it's almost like a fucking omen. Right. You should have never done that. Of, of things to come. Like, <laughs> do you believe in omens? Right. Like, the air being let out of the sails, the wind yeah. being let out of sails. The, their balloon dream of getting a win to force a game five, whatever, however, it. it spoke to me. They stomped it. it. They snuffed out yeah. their own that dream. Could be. That's a pretty good observation. So I'm going to play now a minute and a half clip of the Oakland Athletics giving this game away and letting the Reds take the lead in the ball game. It's a minute and a half clip, and then we're going to start to break everything down in my notes. As Kurt sees, he sees a lot of black text and a lot of multicolored text, which knows he's uh, getting ready for some good stuff. So, uh, again, we don't own any of this content. All the copyrights go to the proper parties. Oh, no, don't tell me. I just... uh... Here we go. He bunts, and the play will have to be to first and save. Now, see, that's a problem right there because Jamie Quirk is not the catcher. And he was slow to get out. Kurt Whittingham could run, too. What a great bunt. Back to back, another bunt. Pulls Randolph off the bag. Wow. Now, here comes LaRusso. Great call by Lou Pinella. Back to back bunch. Oh, Who's I got some. Coming? I got some stuff for you there. Huh? Argument is over. Rags hits a possible double play ball. Can't get that with the One scores and we're tied. It is a one-one game on the infield out of the fielder's choice by Braggs. Cincinnati on top. The runner tags. They could never throw him out. The throw goes into second base, and it's two to one Cincinnati. Oh, it's it's just slipping. Cunningham had that one It's slipping right from their yeah. hands. And Lou, Lou knows it too, right there. You see, the look on Lou's face. Yeah, it, it's. He's like, got you. He's got you. Okay, so so Kurt, this is where I was most excited when I was texting you because uh. I got a lot of what happened and then a lot of us talking about it. Right. So here we go. Top of the eighth inning. This is when they finally got to Dave Stewart in the Oakland Athletics. Right. And the Athletics beat the Athletics. Athletics, yes. Barry Larkin singled up the middle. Fun right. fact. That was the fourth straight inning that Cincinnati had put the lead F man on base in this game. Okay? Right. Herb Winningham followed with a bunt that he beat out for a base yeah, hit. Yeah. So now here they go. He's, Great call by Lou. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So he's bunting on an 0-2 pitch when they're losing the World Series. They're they're losing World Series game four. They're up 3-0 in the series. Yeah. I mean, I get I get the point of the bunt. I get what we're trying to do here. It's a one nothing game. He's trying to get the runner in the score position. But 
it, you have to believe a lot of people were figuring on him, definitely Oakland, to go swinging for the motherfucking right. fences right. here um, and, and get a strikeout. Me? I probably would have swung too. That That's me. So... Well, you got speed of first. Do you think was this Sweet Lou's decision, or do you think do you think Herm just decided on his own he's going to call a bunt? I think it, it's, you, it's Lou's decision because because he, the he very square, next he play, squares around a bunt. It's not a bunt for a hit, although he gets a hit. He squares around as if a sacrifice bunt. It looked like to me. So it's well, got to be called from Lou. Another thing that sold this to me. It just happened to be a great bunt. And he's fast. Did you watch Jamie Quirk? Grab that ball. Yeah. He was slow Whoa. to get out in yeah. front of the plate to get the ball. By the time Stewart got there to get the ball, he almost collided head on yeah. with, with Dave Stewart coming off the mound. A great bunt, by the way. It was they they couldn't get out in front right. of it. And then the camera cuts to the dugout and you see Tony LaRusse's face and you can just see the look on his face. Yeah. He's in total shock. He's completely dumbfounded. I think Luke called that from the dugout. Okay. Okay. And you know what? Good call. Yeah. Because nobody in that stadium was expecting was bunt. expecting a bunt on an O two. Right. Especially with nobody right, out. Right. Right. That was followed up when Paul O'Neill reached on a throwing error by Stewart to load the bases. How did this happen? O'Neill bunted two. Yes. Stewart charged off the mound to get the ball. And then, as we clearly watched right there, wild first. Randolph, his throw to first base pulled Randolph oh, off easy. the bat, yeah. causing no play. And LaRusa at this point, is about to be like DEFCON level five. Yeah. So he races onto the field to start arguing with the umpires, but he knows his goose is cooked. Yep. So he heads back to the dugout, pissed off and dejected. Like, there's, there's starting to be some cat and mouse going on here from Pinella. Yeah. And Larusa was soon to follow with some more cat. Like he wasn't going to be outdone yet. Right. Okay. But why have a power hitter follow up his own bunt when there's nobody out? Like it but, worked to perfection. But now you had. I mean, I, I mean, mean, it worked to perfection because there. You, now you have the bases loaded and nobody's out. Obviously, Lou Pinelli could see into a crystal ball and predict. <laughs> I couldn't. Right? Well, I couldn't either, but. It's great, great call at the time. I mean, so then Glenn Braggs came through with a force out grounder that brought the tie in run in, which was Barry Larkin. Moved the runner to third. Okay, and this is what me and you talked about when I first pulled in tonight, and this this one I hit you with, and I'm I, and I love deep sluts. I mean deep stats. <laughs> so here so here you go. What's interesting to me is Larusa didn't go to the bullpen and get Eckersley. Instead, choosing to stick with his starter and Dave Stewart. Now, here you have a highly, highly paid hired gun. 0.61. Yeah. So, Eckersley was making $788,000 for the 1990 season. That's about $1.7 million in today's money. That's a hired gun. Okay? During the 1990 regular season for Oakland, Eckersley would go 4-2, and two, pitch 73.1 innings, had 48 saves, and an ERA at .61. That's ridiculous. Over the combined three-year World Series run for Oakland, his averages came out to be a 1.5 ERA, 67.5 innings pitch, so you know his arm's safe, right. 42 saves, and a 12-4 and record. Why do you not go to Eckersley? 
That's a good question. I, I, Talk to me. I don't know. Uh, we had O'Neill. If had you're Hearn, La Russa, Hearn, the reason why I think see who was pitching it to this day, Stewart. I don't know. They also had Rick Cunningham. They could have brought in to face Herm Whittingham and Paul O'Neill, lefty on lefty. I take Eckersley over Honeycutt. You the, look at in, me like you're about to go the opposite way. Yeah, in the eighth inning. Uh, you're going opposite. You're going, going to take Honeycutt over yeah, Eckersley. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going with percentages. Ooh, me and you don't get into disagreements often. I, I'm going with the percentages on left, lefty, lefty. I guarantee you Paul O'Neill hit right-handers better and Herm Whittingham hit right-handers better. And Rick Honeycutt had a devastating slider. But, that being said, it is game. I mean, a do-or-die situation. Now, let me ask you this. In my opinion, had you pulled Stewart for Eckersley, this game would have been different. I'm not saying it would have ended different. I'm not saying there would have been a game five. There may or may not have been. But I'd be willing to, to venture the way this game ended no matter who won, is going to be shaped differently by bringing Eckersley in versus trusting your starter. I can see your point. You're down your backs are against the wall further than that. I mean, yeah, you lose, you're done. Nobody touched Eckersley in the the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I can see your point. But Not that we don't disagree. I mean, I just – that's either way. uh, I mean, we're arguing about something that was 32 years ago. Right. It could have changed the outcome, I guess, but – Hal Morris would follow with a sacrifice fly that would push Cincinnati ahead, bringing Winningham in to score to make the score two-one. Now the game's over. Yeah, basically. I don't. You you have lost the World Series, Oakland. Congratulations. Yeah. You just have to wait for the official announcement after the last pitch, and you just got to wait another inning and a half. But you have officially fucking lost the World Series. Shot yourself now. in the foot. Shot yourself in the foot. Kicked yourself. Stepped on your own dick. Whatever yeah. you want to say. Jose Rijo, who had retired 20, 20 consecutive batters, was pulled in the ninth inning in favor <coughs> of Myers. And the reliever responded by introducing Conseco to a ground out and forcing Lansford to foul out for the win. Now let's think about this for a minute. Here we go. I, I was racing the computer. The red text, this line right here, this was just put in today. Think about this for a second. LaRusso counters all this by bringing in Jose Canseco, who he had benched prior to the start of this game because he had nagging injuries and had not just been on the ball, so to speak. His head hadn't been in the game this entire World Series. This equates to bringing in the highest-paid pinch hitter in the MLB, basically. And And with one of the nasty boys on the mound, you're looking at a power pitcher, against a power hitter. Myers against Canseco. So a cold Canseco. Hasn't he been a stretched? A cold Canseco. He got snake bit, dude. Gibson beat him in 88. Let's, uh... I mean, obviously, I don't have stats for prior to game six or game four or whatever, but just generally based off all this, uh, Jose went four for 12. Yeah. That's a .83 batting average. Right. Okay. The A's would become the first team ever to be swept in a World Series after sweeping the League Championship Series. This feat was later duplicated by the 2007 Colorado Rockies and the 2012 Detroit Tigers. 
Additionally, this was the first time since 1938-1939 when the New York Yankees won both times. The Yankees also did it in 27 and 28. Murderers Row. Oh, yes. That two consecutive World Series ended in a four-game sweep, which would be repeated again in 98-99, won by the Yankees, and again 0405, won by the Boston Red Sox and Chicago White Sox. Cincinnati Reds pitcher Jose Rio became the second Dominican-born player to earn World Series MVP honors. Can you tell me who the first was? Uh, Roberto Clemente. No. No. It was your guy. 1981 World Series. Oh, Fernando. Pedro Guerrero, Guerrero along yeah, with Ron Say yeah. and Steve Yeager. So they, three of them shared it. Yeah. Uh-huh. 14 years after Riho's award in 2004, Manny Ramirez and the Boston Red Sox would become the third player to do this as well. Other series, other World Series heroes included Chris Sabo, who went 9-for-16 with a 5-6-2 average and two home runs. Reds outfielder Billy Hatchard, who set a World Series record with seven consecutive hits, as we mentioned earlier in this episode. That would put Hatcher's batting average at 750, equating to 9-for-12. <laughs> Broke a four-game series mark set by <laughs> Babe Ruth in 1928. That stood for 62 years. Little Billy Hatcher. Both Sabo and Hatcher were strong candidates to be named MVP. Game, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, Game 4 had one of the most exciting World Series moments when Cincinnati Reds starter Jose Rio had left the game. Closer Randy Myers came in to face Conseco and Lansford. Neither got a hit. The series was over. And like I said, prior to this, Oakland pitcher Dave Stewart, when he entered to pitch game one, he had a six-post-game winning streak going. Yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, you know where the series, I don't know, kind of boiled down to some, I don't know if it was poor managing by Larissa, but it was suspicious managing in some certain situations, and the Nasty Boys. The Nasty Boys. When he got to the Nasty Boys, it was over, folks. Let's uh let's play the game winning call here. Shout out Major League now Baseball for this so content. Of, of, of course they have to put an ad in. Oh yeah. Lansford, good hitting Oakland third baseman. And Myers bringing it. And the pitch is hit in the air. Foul off first. Benzinger backing and calling. And the nineteen ninety World Championship uh-huh. belongs to the Cincinnati Reds. As you might expect, uh-huh. they pile out of the dugout. They are jumping up and high-fiving. All smiles as Luke Pinella and his coaching staff break out of the dugout. Clubs and caps all over the infield. The Cincinnati Reds have done the absolute improbable by defeating the club considered to be the best in Major League Baseball, and they've done it in a four-game series sweep. Sweet dreams. Sweet Lou. Sweet Lou, sweep dreams. Yep. Yeah, let's take a look at some. Let's take a look at some stuff now here. Take a look at what we got here. Hitting statistics. Yeah. Glenn Braggs. Uh, Didn't really do much. No. You have an RBI, I think. No. Uh. Barry Larkin was hitting 353. Yep. Uh, Joe Oliver was hitting 333. I mean, 
Yeah. Sabo was hitting 563. Yeah. Would you like to know what Jose Rijo did? I mean, I'm trying to figure out why he got the. Yeah. He hit 333. Herm Winningham was batting 500. Okay. Billy Bates batting 1,000. Eric Davis was batting 286 prior to his injury. I mean, everybody contributed. Yeah. Now, let's take a look at some of the hotter bats here in this World Series uh, for Oakland. Stolen bases. Stolen bases. Uh, that many, I guess. No, there was two stolen bases. And the host, the one by Paul O'Neill and one by Mariano Duncan. See, the, the, Lou had talked before the series started that he was going to... Put the pressure on. He's going to run, 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 run. He's giving him a green light to go. Step yeah. on the gas yep. and just go. Yep. And uh, well, it didn't. And I think a lot of that third, the third gamer, they had a lot of situations with a man on first that Mike Moore was bothered by the runner on first. Yeah. He, uh, and his throws, I don't know if you watched that, but his throws over the first were low into dirt. I mean, very rattled. So the team average. Let's let's look here. Look at the A's one. Well, we'll get to the A's, but the team, but some of the team averages here, some of the team averages for Cincinnati are. Well, shit. Wait, no, I said that wrong. Getting ahead of myself. So hitting statistics for the Reds. Team averages here. The, as a team, they hit for 317. They had uh, three home runs, 22 runs, 22 RBIs, two stolen bases. Now, uh, Harold, if you switch over to Oakland, I cannot talk. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Harold Baines, who had one home run, he was batting 143. Jose Canseco was batting 83. Now, Mike Gallego. Gallego. I just lost it. Where was Mike batting? Mike was batting point nine one. Yeah. Ron Hassey, Hasey, three thirty three. Yeah, he had a couple of good. Ones. Dave Henderson was batting two thirty one. Ricky Henderson was batting three thirty three. Uh, Carney Lansford was batting two sixty seven. Willie Randolph was batting two sixty seven. Terry Steinbach. You wanna know how bad it was for Terry? Bad. 125. Yeah. As a team, they managed to steal seven bases, though. As a team, they managed to steal seven bases. Um batted what? Their RBIs were eight. They batted 207. Wow. Now, as far as Cincinnati went with their pitching. They had a 1-7 ERA, whereas the A's had a 4-3-3 ERA. You know what that spells out to me? What? Sweep. Todd Burns' ERA was six over 16. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, the only one on there with anything low was uh, Bob Welch with 491 and Dave Stewart at 346. And uh, Danny Jackson just getting punched out for 10 for them. Otherwise, 
Uh, Jose Rijos ERA was .59. That's pretty impressive. That's... I mean, we got a... Baseball chubby. You think, you think a healthy Casego made a difference? I think so. I mean, it's Jose Canseco. Yeah, that's true. The 1990s World Series would be re- the Reds' fifth championship and would be remembered as one of the biggest upsets in baseball history. The 12-game differential between the team's regular season records made this one of only two times in World Series history that a team swept an opponent whose regular season record bested theirs by 10-game or more, the other being the 54 New York Giants, who swept the 14-game better Cleveland Indians. The Reds' 22-8 scoring margin was the same scoring margin from their last World Series win in 76 over the Yankees, which was another sweep. Wow. Oakland Athletics were initially favored to win a fourth consecutive AL pennant in 91, but their pitching that had led the American League by a wide margin failed them. Dave Stewart, whose 1991 ERA was uh, 5, was more than twice his 1990 ERA. Cy Young Award winner Bob Welch fared almost as bad. His earned run average went from 2.95 to 4.58 in 1991. In 1990, Bob Welch had won a league-high 27 games. In 91, he barely won 12. The A's team team ERA at 4.57 was the second worst in the American League the following season. On a positive note, Ricky Henderson stole his 938th career base on May 1st the following year and succeeded Lou Brock's MLB career stolen base leader record. Oakland would return to contention in 92 with a record of 96 and 66, but the 1991 season marked the end of their of them as a potential dynasty power. The three primary primary members of the bullpen, Norm Charlton, Randy Myers, and Rob Dibble, the Nasty Boys, uh, wouldn't let the A's score against them in nearly nine innings of work. Media talk of a forthcoming A's dynasty led Fran led the fans to start calling their own team the Die Nasty, <laughs> which is where I was yeah, telling you. Yeah. I'm telling you guys right now as you listen to this. Well, I mean the episode's already been named, but I'm I'm cha- choosing between naming this episode Sweep Dreams or Die Nasty. Yes. So you remember that World Series article we reference in every episode? Yes. Okay, you want to see where this one ranked? Yeah. So out of 116, because they did this after the 2020 World, after 116 World Series, this one ranked 105th. <laughs> 1990 Reds over A's in four. Their series lever- leverage, which measures how close the game is on each play, was 98. Or how close, yeah. Uh, and then um, the game leverage, you know, they ranked at 68th. And they said, two close games, but not a close series, at least until game four when the Reds lost two of their best hitters to season-ending injuries early in game, and the A's comeback seemed plausible. But the greatest gift in this series gave us was the answer to a pretty good trivia question years later. Who is the only pitcher to win a game after getting a Hall of Fame vote? And they're talking about Jose Rio because he retired. You know, he was the World Series MVP, and then he came back out of retirement. And pitch the game as a, you know. Right. Uh, let's see here. Something else that was funny was, uh, of course, we mentioned. You think that's a fair assessment? 
105. Okay, so so I'm glad you asked me this because I usually ask you questions. You get to talk. Now you're telling me I get to talk? Yeah. Fuck you, Sam. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, you, you okay, got- I get it. Okay, see, you got to understand the way this ESPN article was wrote, they, they really do go through at the time in November of October of 2020, in November, after COVID World Series is over, your Dodgers getting right. their championship. They go through all these games right. and they're and they're pouring through them. But they're you know to to a lot of, to some of these to the guy writing this article you know four you know four o sweeps or whatever. This one's I beg to differ. Yeah. This four o sweep it's is sneaky. important because well because that too, but because of the simple fact that this was not seen coming. Sneaky. No. sneaky I mean, yeah. hey, everybody was calling. Everybody was calling for a clean sweep in this game, and son of a bitch, we got a clean sweep. Yeah, it's the wrong team. Just the wrong team. We got a clean sweep. Now, underestimated them. I think Oakland could have been a little bit full of themselves too. Yeah. I think I think they went into game one way overconfident. They lost game one. It should have lit a fire under the ass. I think. They were like, you know what? It's one game, whatever. We're going to come back right. and win the next four straight. Right. You know, beat them four games to one or whatever. It, and it didn't happen. It did not. And happen. I think they fell victim to part of them. I think they still believe they had time. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, some of them, whether they come out a minute 32 years later or not, I think some of them players and some people in the organization, I'm not saying LaRusa, but I think some of them guys still at the end of the day were like, we got seven games, and if it goes to seven, we'll get them. Every time they got started to grab a little momentum, the Reds answered immediately. And, and that's why this game being ranked 105th all time, I, I would put this game. I'm not saying it's going. It's not going in the top no, 25. No, no, it's not going in the top 50. But this game could be ranked higher. This yeah. game could. This game could easily be ranked in the top 75. Yes. I'd even push it up to at worst like 80th. Or yeah, something, yeah. but this does not belong on that. I know it was a four-zero sweep, but there was this game. Nobody seen it coming. No, and and everybody was on the edge of their seats for this game, this series. Yes. Um, I surprised the fuck out of me. I'll just tell you right now. I you want you want to know something? What's that? Before the World Series started, Peter Gammons of ESPN had predicted an Oakland sweep. Chicago Tribune columnist Mike Rocco issued the stunning proclamation that the heavily favored A's were doomed to fail and would lose to Cincinnati based on the ex-Cubs factor. When the prediction came true, it fueled new interest in that arguably suspicious correlation. Now, as we start to put a bow on this, I got 16 of them for you tonight. Okay. It's been a minute since we've done word associations. And before we do that, we ought to... Uh, well, uh, we always... We have stopped paying bills for a long time. Oh, we need to do that. We're going we're gonna to pay double right now. Right. So first off, guys, check out Nana's Aromas LLC in beautiful Harrison County, Indiana, Palmyra. Uh, Nana... I just had a brain fart. Nana's, uh, 
Is it coming out of the brain? It's been a, it's been a good night. <laughs> Nana does more than just candles. She does wax melts. She does warmers. She makes air fresheners. She does every batch in small quantities for better quality control. She sent us a free candle. I burn it every love once it. in a while. I love it. It's called blueberry cheesecake. Kurt almost took a bite of it. Yeah. But seriously, this woman, uh, she's a small business owner doing this on the side. This is extra income to help her out. But she's a widow. Um, please give her a call at 812-972-3670. Uh, Nana, she answers messages on Facebook. She does have her own .com. It's at nanasaromas.com. She is the sweetest damn lady in the whole world. And uh, she probably thinks we don't even do nothing because right. I haven't tagged her in a in a, in a right. post on social media for so long. So I'm going to do that tonight right. because she's a sweet sweetheart, and uh, we get nothing out of this. You know, it's just makes us look better having somebody that quote unquote sponsors us. But uh, Nana's a sweetheart, and anything me and Kurt do can help a small business since the majority yep. of our yep. listeners are right here in Southern Indiana. And then on the other end of things, check out Main Street Designs LLC in Jasper. Uh, they're specialized in laser engraving, direct-to-garment printing. They offer vinyl decals, baby blankets, other personalized item- items for you or your business. Message them on Facebook. Give them a call at 812-661-7765. That's 812-661-7765. These guys do high-quality stuff. And uh, both Nana and Main Streets will ship to you. So, there we go. Okay. Word association. Word association. I, I got some of that. And uh, do you got anything for Kurt's corner? You got anything on your mind? Uh, no. Uh, we pretty much covered it. I mean, pretty much covered it. Because we got we got this, and then we got to talk about the future episodes and what's coming up. We still right. got a few minutes yet. Okay. So word association. That's been a minute since we've done this. You yeah. remember how to do this? I uh, think. First thing comes to mind. Yeah. Okay. It don't even have to be one word. It's just the first right, thing that comes right, to mind. Right. If it's twenty words, then that's right. fine. Jose Rio. Lights out. Lights out. Jose Canseco's World Series performance. Subpar. Ooh, nice word, my brother. The Nasty Boys. Oh, lights out again. Billy Hatcher. Who? <laughs> That's what I, I guarantee. <laughs> yep, you're right. You are. You. That that is what Larusa was thinking. Yeah. Who the fuck is this guy? You know? And it bit him in the ass. It bit him in the ass. Yes. Billy Hatcher and Eric Davis injuries. Uh, bad timing, but bad timing. Yeah, bad timing. Okay. I don't think it was intentional. The Billy Hatcher getting hit. I don't think. You know what? Sometimes as a pitcher, you just lose your grip on the well, ball. And, you know, it happens. O two. You know, he's trying to move him off the plate. Billy Hatcher liked to crowd the plate. It was O two, and he was trying to brush him back to set him up for something outside. I think. You know, but it is what it is. It's a bad deal. He got hurt, but he had a great series. Holy shit. Tony LaRusso lineup changes prior to game four. Not sure. In theory, yeah, for a while theory. it looked like it was working. Yeah, but it never did really click, though. It didn't tell the top of the eighth inning. Yeah, but <laughs> LaRusso, I don't know. I mean, you weren't getting you weren't getting bats, but right, I mean, right, you right. you weren't. I mean, you weren't. You were holding them. Right. Dave Stewart's pitching performances in both games. Subpar. Really? Yeah, I don't think he pitched very. The first game he unraveled. I mean, he, he walked four or five batters, 
a setup to big innings. Uh, I would say good, not bad. Could have been a lot better. Yeah. Not terrible. Uh, I don't know. Underperformed. I underperformed. There, yeah. there you go. The Oakland Athletics prior to the start of the World Series. This is after they came out of the ALCS. Well, dominating. Dominating. Okay. Cincinnati Reds prior to the start of the World Series coming out of the NLCS. Good enough. Good enough? Yeah. Okay. The back-to-back bunts from Winningham and O'Neill. What? What? That is exactly what I was thinking. I still think Lou Piniella called that that bunt from Hart Winningham. You don't think it was him on his own? I don't think it was. I mean, he squared around a bunt. Okay. Like for a sacrifice bunt. It wasn't a bunt for a hit. You know what but it was such a good bunt, and he was so fast, he ended up getting it. And you brought it up to Jamie Quirk, which leads me to believe that Tony LaRusso made a mistake there by inserting him in the line. You said he was slow to the ball. If you, if, you know, for those of you that, that care about this episode at all, uh, if you want to, you know, go on YouTube, and you can either watch Game 4, or you can go watch, you know, Reds take the lead game inning 8. Right. Uh, he just, it, it Jamie it was not prepared. No. And by the time he got out in front of the plate to get the ball, you know, Winningham's already going downfield or down the line. But by the time he got to the ball that was bunted, him and Dave Stewart almost collided yeah, head to head yeah. because he was so. And I don't want to use the word inept, but I'm going to. Yeah. It, he wasn't Quirk fluid. was inept to be in that it position. Wasn't fluid look at all. No, was, terrible. Yeah. Here's the one I care about the most, and I can't wait to hear this word association. First thing that comes to your mind, Larusa not going to Eckersley. <laughs> Questionable. Questionable. Thank you, dog. Yeah, Questionable. Yeah. Okay. Or, yeah, de- definitely, definitely not going somewhere else there. Eighth inning of game four. <laughs> uh, Omen. The oh, foot stomp. The foot stomp. Of the, the balloon. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, huh. Okay. Red sweeping the A's. What? Okay. Yeah, I mean. The Reds in the World Series. <laughs> Astonishing. Holy crap. Oakland in the World Series. <laughs> oh, no, it's not a word. <laughs> here's, the be- here's the best one. We always save it for last. Every episode. The 1990 World Series. <laughs> Surprising. This surprised me. Oh. Undeservedly shit on. That's what I would say. Yes. Because they're ranking it at 105th yeah, I agree. of all time. Yeah. Undeservedly shit on. Yes. Okay. It's like they give up looking into it because it's a four-game sweep or something. And there was a lot more went down than that. And it was a four-game sweep. It was. was Everybody more... predicted a sweep. Yeah, just the wrong team. Just the wrong team. Sweep dreams dynasty. Yes. I mean, I was... Not, like I say, I'm not a Reds fan, but I'm going to tell you right now. Good for them. Good for them, yeah. Good for Cincinnati. And Oakland, he's had it coming to you. You guys were acting, you know, cocky, arrogant, however you want to say it. You got your ass handed to you. Okay. So let's take a look at recording schedules. So two weeks from tonight, September 10th, we'll be in Richmond, Indiana yep. for our collaboration with After Two Beers podcast. Excited. Excited. Next weekend, Labor Day weekend, holiday weekend. Uh, that is a kid weekend. Normally, we don't record on kid weekends. <laughs> right. But because my ex-wife is uh, going out of town on vacation, 
I'm going to push pickup date back for my kids because I'm going to have them the entire week she's gone, pick them up from school, take them to school, right. the whole works. So essentially, next Saturday night, next Friday night, I am kid-free, Yeah. which means we could record and get another one on tape before we go up on the 10th. Right, the momentum gathered Do up. you want to record another episode? Well, I definitely think we should do another one. It be a mini. Well, we'll definitely, we will definitely, you and I... We will definitely do a mini episode one night this week okay. after work. You just tell me what day works for you, and I, we don't have to talk about that now. I right, can text right. you. Uh, I know it's going to be hotter than Satan's taint lot this week. Going on. A lot of stuff L- going on. A lot of news to talk yeah. about. As we just found out, the Bills just released right. a punter yeah, for yeah, yeah. apparently a yeah. 17-year-old gang raping yeah. allegations on a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, what the terrible. fuck is that about? What's bunch of thugs running around. Uh uh, so, we'll, I mean, it's going to be hotter than Satan's taint. I'm excited so about real we'll, football. We'll record real football. So, we got some mini stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. But do you want to do a full-length episode Friday or Saturday night? Yeah, I'd be down. Because I've got, I mean, do I need to pick an episode? Or you want, you seriously want me to do a Jimmy Hoffa thing? Because I will fuck, I will be down to do a Jimmy Hoffa I'll thing. I'll do a Jimmy Hoffa. We're just going to speculate on what we think happened yeah, to Hoffa? Yeah, Fuck it, send it. Steel Toes episode number four, Jip. Where's Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> oh, you got to do a little research, huh? Oh, dude, I'll... Shit. We'll come up with some theories. The only thing that would be more fun than doing that would be doing D.B. Cooper. <laughs> yeah, that's another good... Oh, oh dude, man. No. Look at that look. Uh, oh, no. What? We're going to start doing some more Steel Toes things. What look at that. genius. This guy's a genius, wasn't he? Brave. Did D.B. Cooper survive or did D.B. Cooper die? I think he survived. I think he survived. Yeah. I I know the lore and the legend of it all. We all want to believe he survived. I think he did. I do, too. I think he had experience jumping out of planes. Yes, I do, too. You know what one of the craziest D.B. Cooper theories is? Why they didn't find him? What? I can't remember the guy's name, but one of the suspects uh, later got a sex change to become a woman in the 80s. Yeah. So they think the reason they could never find Cooper was because he, he literally hid in the one place you couldn't find him. That's because he tucked his wiener inside. <laughs> That's why you couldn't find well, him. Well, I mean, that's a possibility. That would be a damn good way to hide, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Become a woman? Well, get a sex change? Yeah. Yeah? I, yeah. Especially <laughs> maybe he had a feminine side to begin with, right? Mm. So, okay, we'll do a mini this coming week. Uh, next next weekend, Friday, Saturday night, we'll just shoot for... We'll shoot for Friday night. Yeah. I mean, we never do shit on Friday right. night. I never go out on Friday nights because I always have the kids there right. on Friday. And uh, Friday night. Okay. Well, if I have to work Friday, uh, we need to make it a, a little earlier because I'll be pooped out. I'll just... You just let me know if you're working Friday. Okay. If you are, we'll move it back to Saturday. Okay. or something. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out, yeah. Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. We're doing Jimmy Hoffa. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to find you, Jimmy. How was this episode? I liked it. Do you think it was as good as I was all excited about and being hyped yeah. up? I think it was. Oh, I do too. Uh, we had a lot of interruptions and holy shit, I thought I was seeing ghosts and yeah. It was... I hey, I would like to point out that I was right. I did see an orange shirt. Yes. Somebody, we went outside. Somebody made it past us. We somebody made it past us. We didn't even know it because we was too in depth looking at yeah. the notes. So. Yeah. Uh, debunked. Debunked. Now we're gonna go outside and play some wiffle ball. Yep. All right. So uh, anything else? No, good episode. Can I just one more time? Can I just uh, say Jose Rijo just uh, dominating you know, for sure? To put a young man that young in that position and just let him shine, 
That's almost Fernando yeah. Valenzuela-looking-ish. Yeah. He was lights out, man. He was untouchable, really. Retired 20 consecutive batters. Had an ERA under one. Oh, is that her uh, six, wasn't it? Point five one. Point, what was? I said point What five was one. Jose Rios ERA? Zero. I. Jose Rio. Get my short-term memory still there. I don't have a memory ever. Jose Rio ERA point five nine. Oh, nine. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That deserves something. That deserved World Series MVP yeah, honors. Yeah, that's yeah. what that deserved. That's Billy Hatcher and Chris Sable make strong arguments there. The Oakland Athletics fell victim to Sabo Tajin. He corks another one. Until and then the... <laughs> <laughs> and then, yo, know, but that's crazy there. Sammy Sosa corked his bat too, didn't he? We got to save that for the Sammy Sosa Mark McGuire episode. I was in fifth grade in 1998 when that was going on. And that's all I wanted to talk about besides oh, yeah. wrestling. It was the big thing. Man. That's all I want besides pro wrestling, Stone Cold were, Steve Austin every were, Monday night. You think the balls were juiced back then? Had to be. Had to be. You guys hit seventy home runs, sixty home runs in a season. That's crazy. Yeah. What a good episode. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, yeah. Why not? I know where Jimmy Hoff is buried. We'll find you, Jimmy. If uh, the FBI or Homeland Security or anybody's list, you maybe the FBI is behind Hoffa. Could be. You, have you ever Googled or watched anything on YouTube on Hoffa? There's some theories shady that the shit, FBI yeah. Yeah, had Hoffa shit, taken out. It wasn't stuff. a mob. There's shady stuff going on. I wouldn't put it past the government. But regardless, I have information as to the whereabouts of the remains of Jimmy Hoffa. It's not like me, huh? No. Uh, this information will cost you $150 million or a trip to Red Lobster, all on you, all I can eat, and a lifetime supply of uh, sugar-free Big Red Soda. <laughs> Dead yes. serious. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Be interesting. See what your theory is. And maybe some, uh, maybe some uh, walnut ice cream for Kurt. Oh, you remember the walnut yes. ice cream, don't you? This is good. Black walnut ice cream. That does not look good. The terrible. I mean, did you eat some? I took one bite. Well, it, and I was like, what it's the ice cream. Who doesn't love ice cream? Oh, what the fuck are you thinking? I took one bite. Could you? Was it homemade? No. You could it buy it in the store. Great value. Walnut ice cream. Black walnut ice cream, and it smelled like a walnut. This you ever d- a walnut. This dude had to be higher than giraffe pussy to buy something like well, this. You want to try something new? And it's what happens when you try something new. If it ain't broke. Think about that analogy. How fuck that is higher than giraffe pussy. You ever seen the vagina yeah, on a yeah, giraffe? Yeah, it's pretty high. It's up. pretty yeah, high it's up pretty there. Pretty high. Up. Who the fuck puts walnut with ice cream? It's black yeah, walnut. I mean, that is the worst. Did it co- smell bad? Yes. The combination is the worst ever in ice cream. Black walnut ice cream. And he said, "Well, I, I want to try something different." Well, that's different, all right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Vanilla works for me every time. Oh, before we go, back to the after two beers thing. I got something I want to tell you about that. So I listened to their last episode. I've listened to it twice now. It was a really good episode. Um, 
they uh, they released this about two or three weeks ago. And towards the end of their episode, they had about a five-minute spiel about us. And Dutch goes, uh, we got this collaboration coming up. And, and Gibbler's Kim's like, oh, yeah, the guy's from southern Indiana. And we're like, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, I forgot to write their names down. And I was laughing. I was like, because he's saved in my phone. And I don't know if I'm saved in your phone or not, Dutch. It doesn't matter. But they're down-to-earth people. He goes, uh, scoreboards and steel toes. He goes, damn it. No, that's not right. He goes, steel toes and scoreboards. They're coming up. And uh, they just, they shouted us out. And they did this because they said that uh, one of the things they wanted to do with their platform, because they, they are they are a legitimate podcast. Right, now, right. obviously, these aren't Joe Rogan number people, you know, things like that. But they've rubbed elbows. But with they it. have rubbed elbows with some stars, like comedian Nikki Glazer. Uh, the little person comedian, because it's inappropriate to say the M word. M, not N. M. It rhymes with idiot. You know uh, who is Steve? Uh, uh, Brad Williams. Brad Williams. Uh, Adam Carolla. Yeah, Carolla. Yeah. Uh, several people. Uh, they they've rubbed elbows with some people, and so while I would never call them small time, the the humbleness of these two people. The After Two Beers crew, they, they would lead you to believe that they're just a small-time podcast. They're humble people. Uh, to me, when you have that sort of name brand recognition, when yeah. you've rubbed elbows with people like that, and you've got a following on social media like they have, you're not small-time. But their thing is they want to do is they want to use their platform to help others. We have been slowly on social media romancing these guys for six for five, six months now. It took some time, but now you know phone numbers have been exchanged. There's interaction, and it, and in two weeks, we're me and you were taking the trip up there. I, I just spent five hundred dollars to order new tires and get them put on. Well, I'll have them put on a week from, you know, five days from now. We'll have fresh new skins, fresh oil change in the Dadmobile to go up there. Like, this is all coming together, and uh, they they just you know it meant a lot to me to hear them say that they wanted to use their platform to help others like us right. because we are coming off our two best months to date you know last month in july we had 207 downloads the most we've ever had we crushed our previous record set in june of 2021 by 100 this month we're up to like 150 so it's i mean it's it's starting to take off like i've i have worked my ass off to build this brand for me and you you being a good wingman and I think a lot of it is the chemistry and the rapport that we have with each other right. and the stupidness, the silliness. <laughs> Two idiots talking sports. Right. Hashtag right. We tits. Missed the, we missed the boat, boat so dude. We missed yeah. the boat. Um, I feel like this is going to put us over the hump. And uh, Dutch, I told you I'd shout you guys out. I just, uh, Kurt and I want to thank you guys. Yes. We can't wait to get up there in person in a couple Super weeks. Excited. Super excited. Kurt's excited. We're going to drive two, three hours to get up there. Hang out with you guys all night. Drive back home under the cover of darkness. Less traffic. Yeah. No hassles. Uh, we're excited. I don't. I don't have a format. If you have an idea of what you want to talk about with us, let me know. If not, we'll just press record and send it. But uh, forever grateful for this opportunity, yes. and we're forever grateful for the downloads that we get from all you guys. Yes. The support we're starting to get. Uh, we're picking up new downloads every day. Shout out one more time. Kurt, don't say it. <laughs> he wants to. Whoever is in California downloading this show, I, I shut up, Kurt. I said something on the uh, mini episode I did by myself a few days ago about the um, 
about the the uh, post fight. Um, totally blew my train of thought. Uh, whenever I did the last episode, I did the the big post fight show. I I asked you, please come forward and contact me on my personal Twitter account at the Atkins Asylum or get us at Steel Toes and Scoreboards on Twitter or on Facebook. I want to know who the person is that has just repeatedly smashed our catalog download in the state of California. I want to know who you are. Please come forward. We'd like to personally shout you out. I don't know I don't know where you're at out there. I, I it looks like it's one or possibly two listeners. I don't know the locations. Please come forward. We would like to personally thank you on air because I have reason to believe if you've smashed the download on that many episodes on the catalog, then you've probably told other people. Right. And, and we just want to personally give you a shout out. And uh, not your basic dad. Once again, yeah. I, I tagged you a little bit earlier. Uh, I tried to get a hold of you on Twitter today. I don't know if your account has been deleted, banned, or whatever. Get with us. Uh, Kurt's all game. Oh, you yeah. know, you want to make the drive down here to Dubois County to, to come record yeah. with us. We're looking forward to it. Or if you want a remote phone in, we'll get you live on the phone for a recording yeah, session and interview. We're down to do. Oh, yeah. So, uh, But anyways, we have rambled on way too long about this stuff. But uh, just Kurt and I are super excited. Got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. Got a lot of sports news the last week or two. Going to do a mini this week. Hopefully turn around a few days and do Hoffa. I'm excited about yeah, Hoffa. me too. And then uh, the next time you'll hear us after those two will be uh, when we're with uh, After Two Beers. Yeah, Dutch and, uh, Dutch and Gibbler. 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 Her name's Kim. Kim, okay. So she goes by Gibbler, Kimmy Gibbler, Gibbler Full okay. House. Okay, okay, Remember? okay. yes. So, uh, and Chris is do- uh, Dutch. All right. Dutch and Gibbler. All right, so for uh, the homie Kurt Kelly. Yes. I'm uh, the fat guy, Jared Atkins. <laughs> Big Nasty, the Nasty Boys. Sweep Dreams, Die Nasty. And we will see you guys next week. Peace out.